This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The sanctioning body for Grand National Racing is NASCAR. That's short for the National Association of Stock Car Auto Racing. And he's the man from NASCAR who keeps us honest. Stock Car Auto Racing. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Dale Jr. Download. I am your host, Dale Jr. And with me is my co-host, Mike Davis. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. I, I, I think that this building is about 20 degrees colder than what it's supposed to be. I wonder if we're paying the, the heat bill around here. But uh, other than that, we're fine, Dale. Matthew Dillner's here. Leah's here. Everybody's here. We got a great guest for you today. Hank Parker Jr. Some of those people are going to remember that name. Maybe you don't. But me and Hank Jr., we are best pals. Yes, you are. We've got a lot of stories to tell you. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to this like you can't imagine. So let's get the show started. All right. Well, let's get right into the open segment here, Mike. You know, pretty awesome race weekend at Talladega. I'm sure uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into that. Mm. Uh, I uh, had a blast in the booth. The race was action-packed. We stayed busy. I had some people that were um, watching the race on TV, and they're like, man, uh, how was Talladega? Cause it, and I was like, well, we still were in Charlotte. And they were like, couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. Seemed like you guys were right there on top of the action, and we were. Uh, it felt like we were there. Uh, pretty incredible race. Uh, a lot of intensity from the drop of the green flag. I know uh, there were probably more wrecks than, uh, than most of us uh, like to see. Some very hard crashes. But as far as Working by design, that's that's really what this race was. NASCAR has moved Talladega into the playoffs. It's it's a it's a lottery sort of a wild card event. It leads into another wild card event at the Roval. But uh, it really, uh, you know, the drivers haven't quite figured out. You know, you could say Denny figured it out, but the drivers haven't quite really figured out how to approach this race just yet. Uh, it seemed like when the green flag dropped, they were all kind of in a panic mode from, from that moment on. And, uh, pretty awesome. I really enjoyed it. And even, you know, the, I said, so this seems to happen every single time we go to Talladega or Daytona and NASCAR. Um, and this isn't a bash on them. I'm just telling you, and this is such a funny thing for me. I'm just going to tell you what happened. All right. I'm not bashing or picking anybody's side here. NASCAR made a call on I believe Joey Logano for blocking mm-hmm. uh, the 21 car, Matt DiBenedetto, below the yellow line on the back straightaway. Typically, they rarely bl- uh, black flag or penalize the guy that forces uh, someone below the line. They rarely do. And I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to get into why that's rarely done. Maybe it's such a tough judgment call that they just, you know, if they can't make a call, they just don't. They don't really try to, you know, uh, try to guess on what the drivers are doing in there. But if it's obvious to them or they, they, they obviously put some thought into the t- decisions that they make. And, uh, but anyhow, this seems to happen every single time we go to Daytona or Talladega. They'll make a call, whether it's at the early part of the cup race or if we're in speed weeks, it's during the truck race or during a qualifying race for the Daytona 500, whatever they do, they make a call, and it sets the precedent. And it kind of puts them in a position to have to make that same call every single time this comes up again. Because it's going to, right? They made the decision to 
black flag Joey when he got when he pushed someone below the line, I, and I thought in my head, I said, all right, now you've opened that can of worms. Every time somebody is forced below the line, you're going to have to black flag that guy that does it, which is something they, com- they, they don't commonly do. Now they, now they have set a precedent, and, boy, they had to do it. Every time somebody was forced below the line, they had to go, well, we, we, we black flagged Joey. We got to black flag this guy. And we gotta, I mean, at the end of the race, they were black flagging people and resending black flags, and right? They, forced, uh, they black flagged the 17, De Benedetto. Uh, the nine, I don't know. I mean, there were so many guys got, got penalized before, you know, by the time the race was over with, and then I think they took the nine's penalty back uh, and gave him his, uh, his position back. But uh, I guess, you know, and, and per the way the rules are written, I can't argue any of the calls they made. What I will argue is that we, sh- we shouldn't have to deal with we shouldn't have to deal with this sort of mess that it creates. And, and, the, you, and you made the argument on NBC Sports yeah. broadcast right after the race. Yes, <laughs> is cracked me up. Is is having uh, is is having is taking away the the yellow line rule the best thing for for every for every occasion? Absolutely not. I mean, it was put in play for a reason, but it. I think the act of having it has caused just as many wrecks, maybe more. The act of having it has caused way too much controversy and dis- disgruntledness and, and, and frustration and confusion amongst industry, amongst broadcasters, amongst, amongst people on pit road, crew members, crew chiefs, drivers, and most importantly, the fans. When they walk away from a race and everybody is so divided and frustrated on what they just saw, we cannot. We cannot have that. We can't go back and recreate. We can't have anything that's going to de- de- result in that type of, you know, reaction from our fans. So, if we can't, after decades of trying, seem to come to a real nice place where we can live with this rule, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the rule. Let the drivers police themselves. If somebody does something stupid goes 10, 10 car lengths below the yellow line to do something ridiculous, let that garage police itself. we got tough drivers in there that hold people accountable, that'll tell people they're stupid, that'll tell people not to drive like that again, or you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. You know, let that sort of play itself out uh, naturally. That's why I say get rid of the rule, um, because I hate... To, I hate to walk away from what I thought was such an entertaining afternoon and see so much confusion, frustration, uncertainty, uh, anger out of the fan base over the result. And did this guy deserve to win? Well, no, he did this. Well, did this guy deserve it? Nope, he did that. And, well, I guess Chris Buescher should have won. Well, I mean, everybody was making an argument for basically every car that was on the lead lap should for winning that race. Uh and so, you know, that's I don't I don't think that getting rid of the yellow line rule is a perfect scenario, but it's certainly better than this. Certainly better than having uh, this thing, you know, this sort of nasty, you know, bad taste in your mouth after such a great day uh, pop up at least eh, once a year. I don't know, maybe that, maybe it doesn't pop up that often, but it's going to happen again. We're going to have this again. Well, it could be a Daytona 500. What if this was how we ended up our biggest marquee event, the Daytona 500? What if this was the result? 
in the in the in the ending conversation after such an important race. I mean, this was an important race, but could you wouldn't you feel like you need to protect the integrity of Yeah, but wouldn't you put that in the hands of the drivers who know the rules going in? That's a great argument. You know, but I don't, you know, I'm trying to hesitate in saying that NASCAR is inconsistent on the calls because that would be the argument then for the driver is, well, you know, they don't, you know, they, they, they black flagged this guy for forcing someone below the line, but damn, I could give you 20 examples in the past decade there where they didn't black flag that guy that, that forced, sure. that forced someone below the line, you know, it's like the pushing rule, you know, same example, you know, because, you know, you've seen them penalize people from pushing and then you see, you know, another race, you'll see somebody push somebody for damn near half a lap. That's a great, that's a great example. Um, people's, in, what I've learned, uh, you know, is people's interpretation of the rule is going to be different. Okay, let's we'll dive into some weeds here. Who's up there in the booth calling the shots? Well, we, you know, you got a, a bunch of guys up there that are going to be a community on what, what they need to do when somebody blocks or somebody puts somebody below the line. Well, who's at fault here and all that? All of those guys are going to interpret the rule in their own way. What is blocking? Well, me and you might have a different opinion on what blocking is, what a block is, what a dangerous block is, what a clean block is. Um, forcing someone below the line, I might have a different opinion of the same event than you have or than Mike has. You know, so er, that's the only thing is is the human the human interpretation of the rule uh, is different for everybody. That's why all the fans all didn't have the same opinion when the race was over with because everybody interpreted what they saw their own way. All right? And my way, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, man, my way is the right way. Everybody should see what I saw and agree with me. I'm just saying that's impossible, right? That's impossible for, for me to anticipate, expect the, the fans and the industry to go, hey, uh, take the rule away and, and I'm right and this guy deserves the win and, and everybody should agree with that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's try to avoid all this by just not having the rule. If we can't have the rule and have it live in a good space and everybody be good with it, Let's get rid of it. Let's get it off the table. And then we can complain about how reckless the guy was that went below the yellow line. But he's not, a, he's not breaking any rules. We don't have to argue about who won the race or who deserves the win. Let me ask you a question. Would you agree that in the rule book, there is a significant amount of rules that are enforced by judgment calls? Yeah. We are a sport of judgment calls. Right. I mean, no, no, we are. I mean, drivers are making judgment calls on how they race. NASCAR officials are making judgment calls on how they enforce it. We are unlike any other sports. Whereas, you know, on baseball, you got a foul line and there's a clear line that if you hit the ball on the left side going down the first baseline, it's fair. If yeah. it's on the right side, it's foul. And there is no, you know, you may disagree on if it kicked up chalk dust, but you, you know, you get my point. I get you we got to remember that this sport, you could take away that rule, but that doesn't eliminate all the judgment calls that NASCAR is going to have to make during the course of one single race, especially at restrictor plate tracks. Yeah. I mean, people will dispute, fans will dispute pit road speeding penalties. They'll dispute, you know, um, here's one where the loop, where the loops are, uh -huh. when, you know, when the caution comes out and what position you were supposed to be in. And then NASCAR is forced to make a judgment call. I don't disagree with anything you've said 
about I, like I don't think there's any data that suggests that the rule prevents crashes. wrecks from happening. Sure. There are plenty of crashes. Oh yeah. So that let's not even argue that. But I will say I can't find myself committing to uh, to, to the point of just eliminating the rule because. One, I'm not convinced it's it's a regression. I think that I would almost want a solution to replace. I do think drivers, when you give them, you know, uh, the capability to act like a moron, they'll do it. They're, they won't let you down in that. Somebody will. And I think the consequences, especially at Talladega and Daytona, are way more significant for a bunch of other people that might be racing right. You know, 20, 30 other cars can, can get wrapped up in one idiot's moved to go race down there so I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you but i just this sport is judgment calls man i don't envy the position that you have to be in if you're steve o'donnell or whoever else and i also like your point about if you make that call early in the weekend you're gonna have to make it all weekend you know you're setting a precedent well that's i would rather them enforce the rules consistently uh, with the understanding that enforcing the rules means that they're having to apply their judgment on most of them, to be honest with you. And it's, it's no easy task. No easy task. I don't know. I'll say this if you don't mind. I know a lot of people make this analogy of the 79-500. Dale, uh, if, if you look at Donnie and Kale going down underneath that line, if that was present day, we'd be going, well, you know, he pushed him down below the line, so this guy, but he pushed him down there, so he should get penalized, and that guy should get penalized because he was trying to advance his position. I'd rather the argument be, and I think this aligns with what you said, what an idiot. I can't believe he did that. My God, that guy had so much gusto to get down underneath that guy, and that be the post-race discussion rather than about rules. Yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole point for me, too. Okay, I am not um, here to make a better rule i'm not here to tell you that i've got a better idea it's my my opinion that what we have doesn't work uh we can't govern it consistently and 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 where it ends with a result that everyone is pleased with or the majority is pleased with Mm. um it creates a lot of frustration across the board uh for anybody that witnesses it so let's remove it and it's it's kind of like uh, like you said that's a great example. We don't watch that seventy nine Daytona five hundred last lap, and you'll ha- you could sit down and watch that, and we watch it and we show the clips for forever. We've shown it. We don't ever have a we don't ever enter the com we don't ever bring into that conversation the yellow line right or oh that's- man he went below the line. You watch it, you admire it, you enjoy it as a moment. That was amazing. We celebrate it. We use it to to market, to sell, to promote our sport. And we would have that same exact example of something to celebrate Sunday without that rule. Without that yellow line rule, we'd all be watching that replay going, that was some wild That's a good point. You're, uh, Matthew, that was a great point, to be honest with you, because it, it, it definitely dilutes the excitement if you have to apply rule books and everything else, yeah. which has been my argument, to be honest with you. If I'm being consistent, it's what I hate about the you know talk about rules package, because oh. it does not apply to anything that entertains me on a Sunday it's, afternoon watching a race. Instead of, our, instead of us all sitting here debating on who was right, who was illegal, and who wasn't, we'd be sitting here going, two, three of them some was on the apron in turn four. 
Can you believe they made it back? They made it back. It was incredible driving to make it back, and they were they went across the line basically three wide. Instead of celebrating an an an, an, an incredible moment or wild moment, uh, some risky, crazy stuff, we're all frustrated and debating who was legal and who wasn't, and we could just remove all of that from the table by getting rid of the rule. Fair points. Uh, listen, um, all fair points. I. Uh, it also spared us the complete dejection of having to learn that not only did Benedetto lose that, but then he got sent back to 21st or 22nd place. Right, no <laughs> like, come on, man. I felt That's so bad for Rick Allen in that moment. He's like, I hate to, be, hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but the guy we just interviewed, who was almost in tears. That was kind of the one, that was kind of the part that I've already been, I've been frustrated over this yellow line rule for a while now. I think when it was implemented, it had some great intentions, but it's kind of out, you know, it's kind of outgrown or, or become obsolete at this point. And as the dominoes kept falling and the, and the piling on of what that one rule created in those last 10 minutes after the checkered flag, it's just too much to, to take. It's just too much to sit there and, and accept Right and 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 you just get more and more frustrated. Okay, Hamlin wins. Hamlin crossed the finish line. All right. The now which side are you on? That's it, this oh is yeah. All, I know your point. This is all happening in the moment. Right, right, right. Which side are you on? You believe you should have won that or not? <laughs> oh, oh. No, he went below the yellow line. Watching it. Okay, let's argue that for two. Let's argue that for thirty seconds, and then right. then guess what? Matt's going to twenty first. How you feel about that? Or no, not only that, but Matt forced people below the yellow line. Did he? Did he force people below oh, yeah. the yellow line? Did he force uh, anybody? Should he have been kicked back? Like, I didn't even. Oh, it yeah. didn't oh, even racing. occur to me. And, and it didn't racing. even occur to me that he had done that until they announced the penalty. And we're gonna oh, seventeen. He forced somebody. To, I mean, there were like fourteen arguments that popped up one after the other, <laughs> and it's just like, all right, I can't. What are we doing? What are What are we doing? So. And it's so silly to me that nobody, like the, that nobody is. It, well, no, you finish are. your thought. I want. I'm, I'm so pissed off that like NASCAR is not frustrated either. Like they are sitting there watching this race. I don't know. They maybe they are. Maybe they are frustrated. Yeah. But they come on Monday, Sirius XM or whatever, and they give us all the reasons why the rules there, and all the reasons why they made all the decisions they made, and who penalized who they penalized, and gave Hamlin the win, and and it's like. They want everybody to go, hey, man, here it is. Here's the rules. Here's the decisions. Everybody get on board. Uh-uh. Why are you on board with this? This is not okay. This is not a great result. Even if, we, even, if you're, even if I agree with you about the decisions that you made on who you penalized, who won the race, why do we like this? Why do we want this? Why do we want this kind of result and this, this, all this debate? Like, let's just get it off the table. Get rid of the rule. Why don't you see that? Why don't, other, why don't NASCAR see like, clearly, we don't need this rule. Rules are boring. Racing's exciting. The thing that makes this somewhat unique for you to make this argument is that you're also a team owner. And so yeah. that, that, that's a little different because most team owners, <laughs> I would suspect, makes the argument the other way around, right? Um, and you know what it's like to lose all your cars in a single crash at a restrictor plate race. It happened this year, okay? So the fact – I think I was, that, so I, think fr- I was frustrated with this rule way back – when I turned uh, Brian Vickers on the back straightaway oh, yeah. at Dega. We're, we're getting that rule. We're getting oh, yeah. hit over the head with a hammer over that, that damn yellow line rule. I'm, on, I'm trying to get the 
I'm trying to be the first car a lap down. I got a race-winning car for the Daytona 500. Brian Vickers is the first car lap down. I got a run off of turn two. I got my bumper underneath him, and he forced me below the line. That's right. And I said, you know what? There's a rule, and I'm not giving up this little this couple inches I got on you. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm going back up. Right. You, you're in trouble, Brian Vickers. Your ass is going around because you tried to block me. Yeah. And 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 that's wrong. That was at Daytona. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I turned his ass. It wrecked the whole field. Um. It. Look. Whether I was right or wrong for doing that, it was. A, I felt like I was put in the position to stand my ground because he was forcing me below the line, and I knew, I knew that if I lifted and got back in line, NASCAR wasn't ever going to black flag him for doing that. They were going to. They weren't even probably seeing that happen. You know, I was getting forced below the line. He wasn't going to get penalized for it. I wasn't going to get the position. The caution might come out in the next corner. Because we're all racing to rain, and there was a lot of inten- intensity in the pack, and and I needed to be the next car. I need to pass. I needed to pass him immediately to be able to get my lap back. Should the caution come out, and I was getting blocked, and I knew they weren't going to penalize him for blocking me. Yeah. So I turned his ass. Yeah. Unfortunately, and took out about half the field. Wrecked everybody. Else. So <laughs> I forgot it's about so that frust- wreck. I was I'm thinking s- Talladega too. Yeah. I'm yeah, so well, I forgot about so that one. Frust- it was at Daytona. It, yeah. Vickers wrecked him and Jimmy Johnson at Talladega yeah, I, and won I that totally race. Totally forgot about which that one. I still now. I haven't got over that one. Yeah, well, that had nothing to do with yellow. No, it didn't have anything to no, do with yellow. That's why I did have to do with Vickers in wrecking. Yeah. And then I had to call Vickers that week and go, "Hey, man, you know that wasn't nothing personal." Oh wow! Yeah. But you didn't call to apologize, did you? I called to tell him that it was I I totally did not expect him to destroy the field that way. I got gotcha. you. That uh, you know, if, if, at best case scenario, he would have spun harmlessly to the inside. But um, I have been annoyed with this rule. I mean, what we went we went below the yellow line into turn three underneath Matt Kenseth, him and Matt, Matt Kenseth, Jimmy Johnson side by side down the back straightaway at Talladega, coming to a few laps to go. And I went. I got a great run off the nose of Elliott Sadler down the back straightaway, and I go to the inside, and and Matt and Jimmy come down the racetrack to block that move, and I went below the line, pretty much three quarters of my race car below the line, and there was this, you know, hey, is that legal? Is it not legal? And people still debate that today. Hmm. People still debate that move today. How fun is that? Like to to have one of your race wins still debated because of a stupid damn rule. Hmm. And then almost, if you break the rule, people don't apply the the uh, heat of the moment thing. They just almost call you a cheater. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, like they question whether the legit- – yeah, anytime you get questioned the legitimacy of your victory or, or your result, there's a presumption that that means you did something to, to, uh, take, advantage. to, to take advantage of the rule. Yeah, and that's not the case yeah. either. Yeah. You're making split-of-the-moment uh, split decisions here. I'm trying here. not to crash. Right. And I had such a damn good run. Oh. Uh. Vickers. I got other problems with Vickers, but maybe we'll save that for another day. <laughs> Get him in here. Uh, the, the, no. <laughs> Easy. We don't discuss our uh, future guests on open mics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It puts everybody in a bad situation. <laughs> Let's move on, man. That was a good open segment. I feel. I don't feel any better. I, ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I, I was going to say I felt better. Hey, I do not feel better. Y'all made it. Y'all may have changed my mind on it though. I was struggling to come all in on the in, in the in the uh, get rid I of the want, line pool, but I, now I agree. Like that's all I'm trying to say is is do you want to do you want to go to Talladega or Daytona next year and and after the race have a big old debate 
Over, or do you want to not overrules. have it? Or well, do you want to celebrate some badass I want to I want to get us to a point, and I'll be consistent about this, about if I don't want to talk about rules packages as the story, as the main headline of All a right. race, then it needs to also be can you, about rules. Can, so do this. We don't have to add this in, but yeah. Um, all everybody watch the last green white checkered of that race and forget about that yellow line rule. Take it all the way out of your mind. Imagine it's not even there and watch That's those last exercise. two laps. Yeah, and go and then. Yeah, can you even do that? No. Right? Can oh. you? but see how much you maybe enjoy what you're watching, as opposed to watching it and anticipating someone forcing someone below the yellow line, somebody going down there, whether they were legal, whether they weren't, and then all cool the things the, all the things yeah. that happened beyond the finish of the race. If you cool do that you, social. if you do that, you're then left with being amazed that the Benedetto didn't wad his car up yes. coming into turn three and four. Danny I can't too. believe he didn't wreck. And the way he was blocking yes. was like a madman. I mean, yeah. like, that was a man. He was racing for his life. You got that feeling in the last lap that he is going to, like, hellbent. Anything that happens, he is going to do everything he can to stay out front. And he did everything he could do and still lost. It was amazing racing. Yeah. Incredible race. It was. The only thing I'd say about Matt is I wish this is how Matt had raced at Daytona <laughs> for the cut race. Yep. Show that little bit of desperation you see in any sport. You know, he, you're watching uh, your favorite team when, he, when they show desperation when they're behind. Well, he raced his whole career the way he raced Sunday. Yep. Until he got in a tight bind for those last few few spots to make it into the playoffs. And in that race at Daytona, he raced uncharacteristically safe. Safe. I agree, hmm. and it was so frustrating. I'm, you know, as a fan of his, as someone who wants him to succeed, yep. I watched that Daytona race and went, "Come on, man, damn, go! You got to do damn thing. Do it." Hmm. You know, there was a moment in the race where he did start hanging it out, but Sunday was a great example of how I think he should have probably ran Daytona to get himself, you know, get him that win. Yeah. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, let's get this uh, fired up. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Okay, we're almost streaming. <laughs> we're we're good. Whenever you're ready. All right, we're live. Yep. Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Hi. Before we bring in our guest Hank Parker Jr., I want to do my favorite part of the show. It's gonna be tough to say that this week. I mean, there's so many great parts. You can but, have three favorite parts. But Ask Junior's up. Brought to you by our friends at Xfinity, podcast partner and premier partner of NASCAR. 
Time to hear these questions that you guys have sent to Xfinity Racing. Leavon is here with those questions. Let's have them. Our first question is coming from Paul Magro. Hopefully I didn't butcher that, Paul. Uh, what is your feeling on Chevy finally having one engine builder between RCR Racing and Hendrick? Do you think they should have done this sooner since the other manufacturers have been doing this for a while? I think that, uh, I th you know, the sport has the money, on, the money and the spending has gotten like out of control. There's no way to police it. There's no way to really, you know, I've heard about, you know, cap rules and things like that for racing, but there's no way to really watch what people are doing behind the scenes and who might, you know, I guess, you know, I'm surprised they were even able, even able to discern that Hend Hendrick had wind tunnel tested for 30 minutes too long or whatever the rules were. How in the world they know who has what hours in the wind tunnel is beyond me, but much less what they're spending on, on their books. With that said, you know, I think that whenever we can consolidate down and make things simpler, that's better. It would be awesome if, you know, most of the teams uh, got the same chassis from the same chassis builder or uh, the same engines from the same engine builder and that everybody played, paid a pretty flat, reasonable rate for all of those parts and pieces to really bring costs down, some of the major costs down in the sport. I think too, just for so there's there's a there's a great gain in in the monetary side and the spending side, but also, uh, you know, if you're a Chevy fan, um, anytime these teams sort of collaborate, it's great. We see that time and time again. Uh, so, if you put your you know if you're an owner or a big organization, you're gonna have a giant ego. You just do. You're gonna think you're the better team in the garage much less the better Chevy team and it's hard for you to sort of open up your books and knowledge and data to another organization uh, you don't know whether they're going to share equally and so there's going to be some sort of awkwardness I think <laughs> at first of those two organizations coming together but I think in the end it can benefit them because they'll both create great power together They'll both be able to share in the rewards from that and go out there and beat the other manufacturers. And, yeah, so I, I think it's a great thing for, for Chevy to become more successful, more powerful, get more power out of their engines. They can always use more power. All the teams do. And especially with the new car coming uh, and whatever new in engine configurations are coming down the road over the next five to ten years, it could make that development a lot cheaper for that team or those organizations. So. I love it. I think it's a great deal. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they can maintain it. Sometimes those relationships work really well. Sometimes they fracture. And there's a lot of disagreement in the direction, and they end up splitting up and doing it themselves again. So we'll see. Our next question comes from Jeff, who's watching live on YouTube right now. What's your opinion of the addition of all the road courses races for 2021? I was excited to uh, – to see some new tracks come on the schedule, and they're tracks that I think that a lot of people are, are, are happy to see on the schedule. Road America is, uh, from what I've heard, I've been to the track and, and spent some time there, and it's beautiful. It's a great place to go enjoy a weekend with your family, camping, uh, just visually, a uh, really awesome um, experience. Plus, I'll, you know, if you're a race fan, being at the race is a great thing. Uh, so there's a lot to offer a race fan at a place like that, much like Watkins Glen, 
man, when you go to Watkins Glen and I walk down to uh, the Interloop to do the radio-style broadcast, you, when you see that end of the racetrack or just anything outside of the garage, which we're all used to just seeing as, as drivers, it's amazing, man. And you and you really get to understand why those fans keep coming back because there's it's more than a race. You know, it's a great family experience, camping experience. You're out in, you know, you're in the outdoors. It's just beautiful. So I love the addition of that particular racetrack. Um, it, I always believe that it's more about offering the fans something extra outside of the race itself, the, you know, the green, the checkered flag experience. We need to do more before and after that, and those tracks can really provide. Um, I was disappointed uh, that we didn't have any new short tracks added to the schedule. I know they're going to put dirt on Bristol. Uh, I would have preferred they not do that. I would have preferred that they went to a, a dirt track that already exists that has some amazing history uh, for our drivers to try to tackle and, um, you know, leave Bristol alone. If you're not going to pave it with asphalt, don't put dirt on it. Uh, I would rather, if we're going to become, if we're going to include dirt in our series, I would rather us include some historical dirt facility that has, you know, that we, so we can tap in, we go to, like when we went to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right? That was a big moment for our sport because we were going to where IndyCar races, that, we're their guests. Uh, This is their home and it always, Indy will always belong to the open wheel. And when we go there, we're, we're their guests. That's, we're, we're sort of fortunate uh, to be there. And I would have liked that same sort of experience for us to bridge uh, bridge the gap to the dirt fans is to be a guest at one of their major facilities. And I know there's a lot of the lo- <laughs> hurdles to jump through when it comes to making a track. Uh, what tracks would provide, uh, you know, the facilities and the you know pit road and all those things that we need to have a cup race. But I would have loved it if we'd have went to a to a track uh, that that has. Uh, you know that, that lives in the dirt world and we could go there and and sort of be a guest to them but i've noticed a uh i was sitting in the booth sunday before the race and uh we got these uh stat guys that have just crazy stats and my buddy jimmy that works with us he's like they haven't there hasn't been a new short track on the schedule since 1971 mm. damn Wow. Wow. 50, 51 years. Or no, sorry. Let me go uh, no, to that. Geez. Um, it's like 51 years. Damn. When when we, yeah, since 71, there hasn't been a new short track on the schedule. And uh, it was, right. yeah. it was Myers Speedway in Houston, Texas. They ran one race there and never went back. Yep. No track under a mile has been added to the cup schedule since. Uh, the next new short track and will Bristol. be a reconfiguration of no Bristol's not a new track it's there no 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 I meant before that yeah well I'm saying the next one's going to be California that's right yeah right wow 51 years we've lost a lot of short tracks and we haven't had yeah. a new one wow that seems that's a crazy hard stat. to believe but it's true it's like 50 years of you don't count opportunities. you don't count dirt on Bristol. You don't count the reconfiguration nope. of Richmond. Nope. 
I think you might can count the reconfiguration of Fontana since it's going from a mile and a half. The only thing that stands really is maybe track. the stands. <laughs> that's so crazy. that's crazy to me, man. Yeah. That's wow. a big that that's that to crazy. me is like a red flag. Yeah. Like, hey man. Right. We're 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 missing opportunities. We're missing some here. opportunities here, yeah. yeah. And now everybody, you know, now everybody I, it's funny because like we went through the I th- in the nineties like build more mile and a half yeah, you couldn't speed, build them speed. everybody wanted to build one every everybody wanted to put them all over the country <laughs> and now nobody wants to do a mile and a half they're the cookie cutters of yeah. like baseball for baseball fans I mean, yeah it's, it's like, like those, those round concrete stadiums seventies and eighties yeah. yeah yeah so anyhow thanks for that's a good question yeah we had a great <laughs> discussion there all right one more question coming from big fan of yours uh, Michael Annette. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Michael. Uh, he says, I think you guys have talked about the boss man's pronunciation of salmon, salmon. Salmon, salmon. But can you ask him if there is an A at the end of mirror that I never Mira. knew about? <laughs> Mira. Mira. I like that. Um, dude, I have, there, I don't, there's like dozens and dozens of words that I, that I twist and screw up. It's your own dialect, man. Single. Single. Signal. Butchered that one for signal. Time. Like the like this like their cell phone signal. Right. Oh, signal. Yeah, that's what <laughs> he means. I don't, do, I don't say sig no. It's sing no. <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't I'm forty five, I can't change it. Like I'm done I'm stuck. How do you, you say like I got a friend of mine who I pick on about his dialect. How do you say Michael? Michael. Okay, you say Michael. Right. Some people go Michael. Michael. Well, I mean, but that's just up, applying that's a southern. A, uh, that's yeah. just a southern uh, accent. He literally does not pronounce the words. Mirror. Some of them unapologetically, and so and hey. and so you shouldn't. <laughs> if everybody sounded the same, how what damn fun would that be? Yeah, I guess. Well, <laughs> Mira. 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 I wonder. Are, so we had some drivers tune in last week. Were they sending in questions in advance? They're replying to the uh, Xfinity Racing Twitter. Hey, that's cool. Yep. I really wanted yep. to imagine them sitting on the computer right now watching YouTube. <laughs> we'll work on that. All yeah. right. That's the next step. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's have one more. One more question. Please. Okay. He loves this segment. Let's, yeah. go, awesome. to, um, let's go to a question from Samuel Olish. Um, how long would a race have to be nowadays to test the durability of engines and other parts? Dude. That is such a great question, and I'm glad, you know, and we've talked about this before on the show. I mean, this isn't a, this is a, some people are going to think this is a bonkers idea, but I think it's totally legit. NASCAR should have a class in the 24 hours of Daytona. Mm. The oh. stock car, the, na- you know, Damn. NASCAR yeah. should have a class. Uh, either have Nine a, points. E- no, NASCAR should have a class in the 24 hours of Daytona, or... Uh, our series, our sport, should have a race that's maybe a 12-hour race where, just imagine, it could be anywhere, any short, any road course, but we could have the Cup, Xfinity, and Trucks out there at the same time, all in the same race <laughs> at Road America or, or Daytona, and it'd be a 12-hour race. Dude. Four points. Localized cautions. I can't. Yeah, I can't. All, the, all the rules like IMSA and, yep. and all that. Um, so basically, you're having a basically an IMSA race, but with stock cars and Xfinity and trucks. People's heads are exploding right now. <laughs> People are for this. And Kyle Busch has to enter as a truck entry. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm just saying, like you could do it either way. You could have an official NASCAR uh, points race that all three divisions were in at once. Uh huh. 
uh, if you know, so you could have car, cars that are at varying speeds and so forth, and uh, or to test that idea and the potential of having that type of race, you could put a stock car class in the 24 hours of Daytona. I like that, and um, you know, and allow like Gibbs to enter a car or Hendrick to enter a car, and uh, you know, you could have outside owners enter cars uh, that aren't current owners but if you had each organization enter a car you'd have maybe eight to 12 entries that'd be enough for that first sort of test of whether this is viable or not and i've talked to doug yates and he said oh our motors could do 24 we could we wow could, you know we this would be we, we wouldn't all break you know they could they could make some 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 small modifications to make the motors just a bit more durable but um it wouldn't be this huge spend i don't believe only thing that'd be kind of tricky is the headlights and those type of things uh, to be able to give them the opportunity to racing at night. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun to have a stock car class, and I'm surprised there's not one. They have ran stock cars before in the in in road racing at Daytona and at Le Mans. Uh, the '90 car with Dick Brooks driving it, um, owner. Junie Don Levy. They went to Le Mans in the 70s with one of their Ford Mer- Mercuries and ran. They they had a bunch of issues, but uh, went all the way over there with one of their stock cars outfitted with some headlights and so forth and ran Le Mans. Um, I think that they actually, uh, maybe it was David Pearson, ran a stock car in the 24 Hours of Daytona. I'm not entirely yeah. sure about that, but I believe he might have. The Wood Brothers might have attempted to one 24 hours of Daytona with one of their cars. Um, so it's not this really wild idea. It probably was crazy back then, but I think it'd be awesome. So none of us, I don't think, want to sit down and watch 12 hours at Richmond or 12, or 12 <laughs> hours anywhere. We almost had it at Talladega. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that three-and-a-half-hour block is perfect for our races uh, right now, but I think that if we – got plugged into an IMSA race that would be kind of cool or we could create our own multi-class event that happened once a year that would be a of the two that really would be awesome I, would, I think I like that more than plugging into the Daytona out, uh yeah, the 24 that. yeah man just seeing seeing all of them out there at once I've always hated the term crown jewel I just don't like the term because your phobia of jewelry <laughs> part, part of that part of that and I just think it's a silly term but uh that would I might allow uh, I might feel better I guess about Crown Jewel if if because uh, that would definitely be one. Yeah, so uh, that was a great question. I'm glad I I'm glad I persistently asked for that final extra question. Way to go, Leah! To have such a great one teed up. YouTube Good on you. Is freaking out. Amazing. They're super excited about this. Yes, I am too. I've always liked this idea, and we talked about it during the coverage of the 24 Hours of Daytona two years ago, live, and I asked. Doug Yates, right there on TV, I said, hey, could we, the stock cars, run a class in this race and and make, you know, could our engines do it? Could the cars do it? And he's like, oh, they, they, they could do it. Yeah. He was pretty confident. Doug Yates, one of the most famed engine builders in the sport today. Mike, we say it every week, it just goes by too fast, man. It don't last long enough. Just like Xfinity Internet fast. That's right. Xfinity X5 keeps me connected. I simply can't think of a better way to stay up to speed with NASCAR and Dirty Mo Media. All right, folks, so don't forget, Dale is here at the table every week to answer your questions live on YouTube and on this podcast. Last week, he got some great driver questions. That was fun. 
Whoever you are, hit us up at, at Xfinity Racing on Twitter using the hashtag AskJunior for a chance to hear from Dale himself. A big thanks to Xfinity for being a premier partner of NASCAR. All right, let's bring in Hank Parker Jr. here. He's here. All right, let's do it. It'll be checker or wrecker, either tow him home or go to victory lane. And Hank Parker Jr. gets victory number two at Pikes Peak. Now he can coast home and win it. Look at this. Come on in. Sit down. Oh, he's bringing something. Oh. What are you doing giving away your helmets? Wow. <laughs> Get on the mic. I want to hear about this helmet. Hey, cheese. Cheese nips. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Dude, I am so pumped. <laughs> I don't know why. What? You're crazy. I'm so pumped up, buddy. So, um, thanks for coming. Late notice. We we jumped on you here in, in the last couple of days, and I know you're busy. Yeah. Right? It's good to be here. I'm glad to be here. This will be fun. Yeah. So I what, think. I'm not sure. Yes. It's yeah. gonna, I, <laughs> I hope, I, I'm excited, man. I always love to see you. You always got a smile on your face, and uh, you just always got a great attitude. I mean, are you ever in a bad mood? <laughs> yeah. What does it look like when you're mad about something? Yeah. Well, that helmet is pretty scratched up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, that all happened outside of the yeah, outside of the yeah. Car. I threw it over on the right hand side of the car, and it rode around. Got beat up a little bit, you yeah. know. But, you throw uh, it at somebody? <laughs> no. Oh no, I should have thrown it at myself. But other than that, have you, have, good. <laughs> have you ever been? Have you ever wanted to throw a helmet or throw punches at, at another driver back in your racing career? Um. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually got in a fight one time at Tri County Speedway, and it Ooh. was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Was, it, it did you like, win? I don't really know. I got punched a lot. <laughs> that, <laughs> that means you did not win. That guy's face. <laughs> I mean, that guy's fist looked really bad after oh. hit my face a few times. <laughs> How can you punch Hank Parker Jr.? What kind of jerk do you got to be? You, what did you do to get get in a fight? Um, well, my brother Catfish. He's racing. That says a lot, right? Yeah. He decided <laughs> to wreck to Dexter Knight. You remember Dexter Knight? Yeah. He was uh, he was like the local hero, and uh, my brother decided to wreck him. And then uh, when he came down there to confront him at the end of the race, my brother blew him a kiss. And then next thing you know, we're all in a big pile. Boy, that's you know? all it takes. Whether, whether you want it or not. Hey, hey, and I've also helped break up a fight with Kelly Earnhardt. So I've, I've been in where a, was this at? At Concord Speedway. Uh, she uh. She had had an altercation with somebody on the racetrack in the street stock cars, and uh, somebody's girlfriend wanted to come over there and start throwing some punches. It, it was pretty wild. I remember she said one time she's at the pay window getting her money, and that's turned, it. she turned around, and the girl popped her in the mouth. Yeah, that's it. You were there. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were yeah. standing at the pay window? Yeah. To get your $25 yeah. from Concord? <laughs> After spending $100 on tires. I know. Was yeah. that worth it just to watch a Kelly fight, it 25 was, bucks? Hey, was, hey, she about, was she about to go after that girl? Uh, yeah. <laughs> put the fear of the Lord in a lot of people, and I'm gonna tell you right now, I wouldn't mess with her. I wouldn't mess with. I wouldn't mess with Kelly. I'm gonna tell you that right wow. now. Wow, I love this already. <laughs> All right, Hank Parker delivered. When I when we called you, we wanted to get you and your dad on the show together because mm -hmm. there's there's just there's something that I hope you can clear up since he can't be here. Oh boy. All right, so your dad, as I know him and I remember him, it was the ultimate fisherman. Mm -hmm. You know, Bassmaster champion had his own tv show yeah right big deal yeah yeah and what in the world 
uh, was it that led to him thinking that he was going to drive a race car in competition in the Xfinity Series, which was the Bush Series at the time? I imagine, all right, at some point in your life, you're not, racing's not around. Mm-hmm. Right, racing. That's you're, right. You're, you're mm-hmm. maybe watching on TV mm-hmm. on Sundays, mm-hmm. but it's not a part of your life. It's not yeah. a part of your family's history. Mm-hmm. Was it the friendship with Dad? Mm-hmm. Uh, and who did he talk? Did Dad talk him into it? Did he just have the? No, this is your fault, man. What? Oh, yes, this is no, your no, fault. no. Okay, your dad raced in 1994. Well, he went to. He had a, a 03 AC Delco sponsor Chevrolet. He, he, Dick, he uh, did not qualify for the Spring Martinsville Bush race. I thought he went to Rockingham he and did. ran. Yeah, he did not make the race. He didn't make the at race. Rockingham. There. Did he make any race? He's, no. <laughs> He, did, he never made the race. No, but he's, have you ever seen? All my right, dad all right. Drive? So, so he's is he out there? Do you remember this as yes. a kid? I remember all of this. Holy yeah, crap! Yeah, we can walk through all of okay, this. Okay, well, let's do it. Start but let me beginning. just tell you why this got started. Okay, all right. This all got started. We were on a, a you know, my dad and your dad were friends. Yes, and and your dad was an awesome outdoorsman and. You know, he loved to hunt and fish, and we were down at my dad's farm in South Carolina, and it's the first time I met you. Yes. I don't remember the deal, but they had me come pick you up, mm-hmm. and I was like 16 maybe, yep. and uh, uh, we went down there and we hung out, and then you you invited me to come to a Legends Car Race or a Street Stock Race, and then, uh, you know, I was like, hey man, I want to give this a shot. Well, when I told my dad that, he goes, yeah man, I think you should. We'll do it together. <laughs> <laughs> it is your fault. It's your fault, man. It's your fault. <laughs> So to pave the way, my dad, my dad started, we were started racing over your dad approached us at the, at the shop one time and told me that you were going to sell your street stock car. And, uh, and I told him I'd love to, I'd love to drive it and I'd love to, I'd love to buy that car, but I just didn't have any money. And he's like, don't worry, I'll talk to your daddy. And I was like, all right, cool. So, uh, he talked my dad into getting that street stock car and I started racing. So my dad got a street stock car. He started racing. Hold up. So I uh, I built this street stock. It was yes. a uh, I loved it. A good it's car. A Malibu. Yeah, and it was a good car. Um, I could run uh, top two, top three mm-hmm. with it. And mm-hmm. when you got it, you won races, mm-hmm. right? Well, the first year. Yeah, I flipped it. You did flip it. Yes. We were, you went. You climb. You climbed the wall with the right front and flipped on the back yep. straightaway and rolled it. Yeah, and it was uh, awesome. What kind of? So I never <laughs> even knew your dad had a street stock. Yeah. What kind of car did he have? A Camaro. He had a Camaro, and uh, yeah, he wrecked a lot. And uh, did he ever run good? Uh, I think he ran good in a couple of street stock races. The thing about my dad was, is he he has. There are some people that are missing that element of fear, mm-hmm. and he just like to this day, he still does not have it. it like. He does not. He just whatever. When you think, hey, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> that little thing in the conscience. Yeah, says all he, right. No. I mean, like it's 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 wide open or nothing for him. So he wrecked a whole lot, mm-hmm. and I mean, and 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 so he just he just like started racing, and then he got this bright idea to get involved with, uh, you know, back then, you know, they ran the six cylinders yes. in, in what's now the Xfinity series, and so uh, it's uh, he he decided he was going to give that a shot. We went to Martinsville and we tested, and your dad was there, and I think Stevie Reeves was testing, and you, and and so. Uh, I, I remember Tony Yuri and all of them were there, and, and my dad was trying to drive some car. I think he bought it from your dad. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it was that, yep. And uh, it was bad. It was really bad. And and your dad kept telling him, said, hey, look, you need to, you need to put that kid in the car and see. Let's see what he'll do. And uh, 
that, that was a lot of pressure. But anyway, make long story short, he didn't make that race. Martinsville was is you know from late model stock all the way up back then. To so it's tough, and yeah. that's an easy track. There it? were fifty cars, forty cars showing up. Yeah. easy for 20, 36 spots or thirty two spots yeah. at the Xfinity race. So he didn't do it, and um, and then we went to Rockingham. And he tried to make the race at Rockingham, and I remember a hard track to make. Oh my goodness! And I so he was doing him. a qualifying run, and he spun coming off a of turn two. You know how you had to hit it just right coming off a of two mm-hmm. in a qualifying trim, and he hit the inside wall. And I walked up to him, and his nose was bleeding. I was like, "What'd you hit your head on?" And he's like, "Nothing." And I was like, "Uh, you might want to sit <laughs> this one out." <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a backup car, yeah. so he was done. You know, that was and, the end of that. Yeah, and then uh, you know he still raced late models some, but then what he kind of stepped that wait, back. Wait, wait, stop! Me do it. Don't gloss over stuff like that. Yeah, he ran he ran some more late models. Yeah, he would run, you know. So so crazy at Concord Speedway. That's where I cut my teeth because yeah. that's you know that's where you race that street stock. I, I bought that street stock, and then they had a couple of different classes. But late model stock, I've never driven a late model like a true NASCAR late model stock car ever. I've never even driven one, but. At Concord, they had something similar to that, but then they had uh, the, the Big Ten cars, like mm-hmm. super late models. And so my dad did that. And it Supers? Was a, yeah, it was an open carburetor. Yeah, wow. And I would run it. I would run a 390 carburetor, and I was very competitive, and I could win races. And my dad would run, like, an 1100 Dominator. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked could. like a drag car down the straightaway. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrecked every single week, like, epically. Yes. You know? <laughs> I mean, are, are you being a little facetious, or did did he literally wreck every weekend? I don't think he wrecked. Like, okay, my dad's a fisherman, right? We're trying to, we're still trying to connect the dots, yeah. and they're not connecting. He enough. wrecked a lot. I would say at least ninety percent of the time. <laughs> did at any point y'all go, Dad? Let's just stick to the boat. Yeah, let's just, let's just get back on the lake. Yeah. Uh, but what's but, insane to me is that I. His like Hank Jr. developed real talent. Yeah. Um, his brother Catfish mm-hmm. was a f- damn decent wheelman. Yeah. yeah. He's a good driver. Yeah. But but he didn't get it from their dad. Apparently, <laughs> is that what you're saying? But I think my dad has some talent. You know, I mean, my dad. My, I, have you ever ridden in a bass boat at like 80 miles an hour? Is that is it's that, pretty hairy? Yeah. You know, they're kind of up that's on the water. That's a good point. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so he did that all. I mean, his whole career of like. It was who got to the fishing hole first. You drive like hail across yeah, there. Well, my in tournaments, say you you got to get the, you got to get there, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And my dad yeah. would keep a rag in his boat, and and people ask, "What's that rag for?" He's like, "So I don't beat my teeth out when I go across the water because I'm not letting off." And he's serious. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, he just hey, he could have been good if he would have learned how to lift at some point in time. <laughs> well, that is important. <laughs> he never got that. So all this happened because Dale Jr. was a legends car racer on the day. So y'all met, y'all were about 16 years old. Yeah. Because your birthdays are real close together. Yeah. They're just days mm-hmm. apart. You guys have. Uh, uh, Got so one coming up here. Yeah. Y'all do. Um, and so they go, they go to South Carolina. Dale Jr.'s like, I'm a legends car racer. You no, know, that's not how it is. Like, how, no, I, I can see these things. Like, how much do you lift? Um, that's I'm, not I'm what it was like. What do you lift? Yeah. Uh, what do no. you squat? Well, I'm a legends car racer. It was more yeah. of a street stock. <laughs> I was like, then. I was like, this guy's cool, man. I want to be his friend. You want to come to my legends race? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It was just pretty much, you know. I think <laughs> I could see a lot of the connections. I mean, I grew up. My my passion was our dads to, were so similar. Yeah, I loved hunting fish. I was going to be just like my dad. My dad was my hero. I loved I loved fishing and I loved hunting, and I'd stay up all night long with my dad and 
help him build spinner baits and you know put new line on his reels my dad's a very dedicated person like when everybody else is sleeping and resting he's getting his stuff together and he's not playing any games he don't stop you know when it comes time to fish we don't drink we don't drink drinks we don't eat crackers we fish you know and uh so <laughs> that's funny. i could see that connection in racing it's a lot of work but it paid off we, we, we can all assume that they met because of their love for the outdoors but do you recall the first time that they met and what the occasion was i was pretty young i don't remember exactly what the deal was but the first uh the first time i remember meeting uh dale was uh they had some kind of a fishing tournament on Lake Norman and then they had an obstacle course where you raced boats and uh, my dad and Dale were partners and I can't remember how it all worked out I do know there was some cheating that went on I know they won the obstacle course part and I think I think it was uh, it was pretty crazy but cheating on the the racing side not really the fishing side but <laughs> yeah it was good that's interesting too because um you talk about that lack of fear that your dad had you sort of had that too and you have that and when you have that lack of that lack of fear falls over into any kind of fear somebody might have of skirting the rules or getting in trouble with the official <laughs> officials or the or the sanctioning body. And I know that um, one time you one I don't remember where we were. I don't even know if we were at a racetrack, but I, we were in your uh, trailer. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> or I was in my trailer. I can't. We were in a gooseneck trailer at a racetrack, and I was there was bleeders involved, and I was talking about what I was doing with mine, and you were telling me some things that you did with the bleeders on your car that were impressive <laughs> and it made me really realize how innovative you were not only were you good at driving this is probably back when you were racing an all pro car and i don't know what you did to your your xfinity stuff when y'all ran your own team but man you you were creative well whatever it was a, it wasn't enough bullcrap <laughs> i mean let's 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 talk about that you won the winchester 400 in yeah. 1997 mm -hmm. you, you don't know, back into that man yeah holy crap in 1996 you won at louisville speedway in Kentucky, an mm -hmm. all-pro series. Yeah. Um, 1997 at Homestead mm -hmm. in a late model. And you're going to Nashville, all the big races, and doing great, running great. You're fast. Mm -hmm. um, top, you know, one of the top guys everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And when we would talk racing, um, I knew you – I was like – one of your biggest fans when it come to like your progression and hoping that you would get to where I wanted to go. Cause mm -hmm. we could be there together. Yeah. Um, but I was really impressed with how your mind worked. Well, in terms of setups, like, engineering, yeah. taking a look, you weren't a race car driver. You didn't grow up in a racing family, but That's you right. could look at us, you and your brother, both you ran like your brother ran them barrel springs and stuff. Before right. Barrel springs right. were cool. Yeah, you know, and understanding how to travel a car and how to mm -hmm. get more travel out of it, how to get it, how to get on, how to get it to set on the springs when mm -hmm. you couldn't run bump stops, you could look. You guys looked at the front of those cars and would and would see ways to make it work the way you wanted it to work. Well, I, so the credit I would give to that, and I think it's been a lifelong thing that's been helpful for me, is when uh, your dad told my my dad, your dad made a deal with me when we bought that car. He's like, hey, you can do whatever you want, but you won't wear an open face helmet. <laughs> okay but he talked to my dad a lot and he's like hey it's important he he gave my dad some instructions it's like it's really important that that hank jr understands race car and so my dad's like hey you can't i'm not going to get you a crew chief you're going to have to figure this out but here's what i'll do i'll help you i'll help you find somebody that can mentor you and so um 
at the time, Freddie Quarry was the legend, Dude. you know, at the, at the racetrack. So I was at Freddie Quarry's house all the time. I wore that guy out, but I, he took me under his wing and he taught me how to set cars up, how to hang bodies, how to. No, I'm not a very good fabricator. My brother is, but him and both Robbie Hamke, and so unreal. I would be at the I'd be at Hamke's race shop all the time and working fixing my dad's cars learning how to do that sort of stuff yeah. and tell me about freddie uh, t- you, you guys well, and freddie, matthew everybody's query like and hamke here. are like two massive massive names in super late model late model racing mm-hmm. in in the mid-atlantic region north carolina we just mm-hmm. lost robert hamke, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. and you were you were basically right alongside these guys for years and they tutored you into becoming the yeah. the, the 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 man you were as far as a mechanic and yeah, and, and, and the grit and the trying to learn how to analyze and look at things. Now, Freddie Query, I would say this, and I'm sure a lot of people could argue with this, but as far as people who never really got a shot to go after, I would say he's probably the best race car driver I've ever seen that never really got a shot. Yeah. You know, he started late in life. A lot of people and, say that. Man, he that guy that guy could drive. Really? And uh, he's a driven dude. I mean, like, you don't play games around Freddie Query. He was a school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so they, he just, I mean, he just taught me. He just started teaching me all this stuff, and, and uh, you know, you know the first late model race I went to, you know who I went with? Gary Ballou. No kidding. Yes, what? I went with Gary <laughs> Ballou. And what? no lie, it was at Greenville's Pick and Speedway. His son, Brian Ballou, and I were friends. We went to school. They had moved to, to our town, and we were pretty good friends. And I went to this race with him, and he's like, the only job you have to do is he had these big, like, uh, syringes full of uh, tire soak. Uh, compound and I was filling the inside of the tires and keeping them rolling until it was time to go. The race yeah. wasn't yeah. in Cuba, was it? No. Okay, good. <laughs> it was at Greenville Pickens. No, right, good. So you, all, you you'd put that solution in there and mm-hmm. you needed Softens to keep the, the tire tires. rolling so yeah. the solution was going around the whole interior of the tire so it and didn't soak he, through one particular spot. And he won the race. He destroyed them, I bet. Oh, yeah. He killed them. <laughs> now you talk about learning how to cheat. It was awesome. I was like, this is so cool. How did you even get linked up with Baloo? Uh, his son and I were uh, same age, and and they lived right down the street. And his story okay. is fascinating. Dude. Yeah, it's a very fascinating so story. Fascinating. He's got and, a- and, and to be clear for people, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about rules now, and we're talking about there's a big difference between like golf and fishing and NASCAR in the '90s, '80s, and '90s. Yeah. It wasn't really cheating. It's just like it it allowed for creativity. It, how how far can you go and still fall inside? the the bounds and where does it where are they overlooking the rules and and i love that side of it because man what that made was is it made it like this really cool team effort where you've got guys that are creative and they're doing stuff to race cars you never could think of and dream of on Mm. on your own and you're collaborating and building these fast race cars and learning every week that that was i that was one of the things i really loved about it yeah and um in 19 uh, around 1999 1998 too, but you drove. Y'all had your own team, mm-hmm. number 53, yeah. the Bass car, B A S S. One mm-hmm. of the coolest cars out there. Had a big old fish on the side of it. Mm-hmm. Who was helping you with that car at that particular time? Uh, all right, so I got to tell you a funny story about that car. So we showed up to Rockingham. Uh, we we're just going to try to run a few races, and we showed up to Rockingham, and all it said was B A S S, and had a picture of a fish on it. Yeah. And Ward Burton comes walking up. Well, you got to love this. Of course guy. he does. <laughs> He says, son, where's all your stickers on your car? <laughs> <laughs> I said, this guy's crazy. <laughs> Keep but, talking like Ward. In fact, do the rest of this interview I, I as wish, your best Ward Burton person. I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
I, you know, I, I don't really remember back then. I think uh, you ran good. Like y'all had this is your own car. You run mm-hmm. this out of a shop near mm-hmm. your home in Denver, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You're not like the other teams, right? Yeah. Um, it's a family run operation. You run sixth at Rockingham in 1998, toward the end of the year there. In uh, 1999, um, you didn't make the, Day- the Daytona race, which was frustrating, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but then you go to South Boston in the middle of the season, you run third. Yeah. You run uh, me, I was holding you and mm-hmm. Jeff Green up at the end of that race. Jeff yeah. should have punted me out of the way. But I thought he was going to, and I thought yeah. I was sitting in the right spot. You but. did. You run third in 99 Homestead, one of my favorite memories, racing with you. Mm-hmm. We both had great cars, and yeah. you led 32 laps of that race yeah. and ended up fourth. Y'all yeah. should have won that race, but I think you had some pit road issues. Yeah, I can't remember all the details there, but we did have some pit road issues. But really, if you back up, I drove uh, uh, the Mark III car the year before and ended up getting injured at Texas and had to sit the rest of the year out. And then we started our own team. And uh, it, it, Dave McCarty was the guy who was kind of at the helm right okay. there and who, who was the crew chief over that car. Dave McCarty. Dave McCarty. Yep. He was in uh, the 78 car, right? Yeah. Well, Dave McCarty, if you if you want to go back, he worked with Daryl Waltrip's uh, Bush team forever. Okay. And he okay. came over, and my dad ended up buying Daryl Waltrip's team. What was your injury at Texas? Uh, I, I had injury. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm. I, 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 I thought, you, I thought yeah. that you had a couple. Yeah. Yeah. What was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did did, you, back then, head injuries were different. Yes, they were. You know, we looked at them differently, and you mm-hmm. probably just – how come you had to stop? Like, was the was the injury and, um, and like you couldn't well function and well no I so here's 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 how that happened. I, we didn't make the race at Daytona and I was very bummed out about that. It's one of the first times I had ever experienced that and that that you know that that creates a hunger and a drive right and so we go to we're going to run a limited schedule that year and I go to Texas and and it had some water seepage Texas over there was awful four. at that time yeah, yeah that time. it was super fast. And I remember I was in the top 10 in practice, which, you know, I never – that was not very common for me. Uh, you started calling me right around because I've never pushed it in practice, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, had I a, forgot that. I had a bad habit of that because I didn't want – I never had a backup car. You know, I never wanted to wreck one in practice. And so we're out there in practice, and uh, we're in the top 10, and, and they're like, what can, you, what can we do to make your car better? I was like, it's super loose. Uh, but I think if I hold it wide open, it'll be all right. Oh, man. Yeah. And I woke up in a helicopter going to uh, Parkland, and yeah. so I sat out. I sat out a week, and then uh, Doctor Petty, remember him? Mm-hmm. He, he they they made me go see him, and, and he did a physical. And I went to Hickory, and my throttle stuck at Hickory. Goodness! And I hit the wall really hard. Yeah. And uh, was that like weeks later? Or? Yeah, like a week later. Oh and no! They, yeah. To whatever it was. Two big like, ones back to back. Yeah, he's like, all right. You went to Hickory is is a uh, is in a race or you were you testing because of your injury no, to try a, to see if you were no. okay. It was a race. Yeah, yeah. Like you. like you said back then, you're just like, oh yeah, I'm you right. just, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So you know what strikes me is that you guys both remember races where y'all were racing together, and mm-hmm. you know that South Boston's an interesting thing. All right, so do y'all have any stories of 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 literally racing each other on track, competing for wins, whatever, getting together? Anything like that? No. You right? never, like getting into each other? Yeah. No. Nothing? Uh, you might. Oh, uh, oh, I think we what have. Uh, yeah. Okay, so um, I'll tell that, and then we'll, let's step back to South okay. Boston, because that's a good story. Okay. Uh, we were at California Speedway. Uh, I qualified really good uh, and was running 
really horribly and uh was i uh, had a really tight race car and dale jr's leading race and we're buddies man and we yeah. hang out all the time that's my bud if, if if i can't win that's who i want to win and uh and so i'm running around and and it, you know you're fighting for everything you have you're fighting for the next opportunity every single I lap this. and uh I, I see him coming, they're about to lap me, and I cannot go a lap down. I cannot go a lap down. <laughs> and so I'm holding him up. I'm so tight, you know, I can't hardly drive this thing. And Dale Jr.'s leading the race, and I cut in front of him, and instead of him wrecking me, he spins out. And uh, I was like, ooh, that, that's not going to be good. Oh. And uh, I was like, well, there goes, uh, I guess we're not going to be buddies anymore. And then, uh, so after the race, I was, I was kind of expecting it, you know. Here comes Dale Jr., he walks up. He goes, hey, man, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> I said, man, I was just fighting stems on the lead lap. That was really stupid. I, I, I did not mean to do that. I'm so sorry. He goes, all right, man, don't worry about it. I'll see you at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, if it had been anybody else, that probably would have gone way differently. But, yeah, Dale yeah. Jr. just uh, brushed it off. <laughs> you do remember that now. I do now. Okay. I mean, I didn't think that was the big uh, – we didn't – I was thinking had we ever no, had, right. like, uh, yeah. right. banging together going, getting out going, you're dirt. Yeah, okay. we never we never, we never, never got in a big, like, argument or anything. We, I uh, was so loose, and he was so tight. So tight, and I couldn't get back. Back then, those Xfinity cars, you'd get on the inside of somebody, and you could not pass them. Nope. You couldn't use the throttle, and you could, they could just stay out there and stay out there, and he was doing that. I think I busted my butt. Well, so what happened at South Boston? South Boston <laughs> was really cool. Freddie Quarry went with me there. I mean, he's a short track king, and and uh, we, um, we, we qualified pretty good, and yeah, I'm just I'm new. I'm really new at this, and I'm trying to, to figure it all out. And in, in that world, and so we get to running, and and it starts to lay out. And Dale Junior's leading, Jeff Green second, and we ran like that probably for a hundred or so laps. And we're nose to tail, all three of us, and mm -hmm. we've checked out from fourth place. And and I'm sitting here thinking, oh man, should I wreck them or should I not? Should I wreck them <laughs> or should I not? And so we run like this forever and ever and ever. And it's on a little short track like that, you know, there's nine million cautions. So it, it was it was just a it was just one of those races where you really playing out in my head, can I do the right thing? And I kept thinking, oh, Jeff Green is about to lift him up, and I'm gonna, I'll kept set myself up to try to be in that place. But that was a real that that race, you know, being able to run with those two guys like that—that that was the moment. Yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me because uh, I was running with my dad's team, just trying to get by, and it was that was a, that was a really big opportunity for me. I agree. I agree. Um, I was—I think the reason why Jeff didn't wreck me is because he had driven that three car just a couple years before that and had yeah. some much respect for Tony and Tony Jr. Seen, you know, Tony Uri, that saved me that day because <laughs> I was slow at the end of that race. You were wheeling it, though. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was a fun thing to watch. Yeah. So let's talk about hunting. All right. All right. So um, I was a very – I'm still sort of a novice hunter. Yeah, I got a picture here. Oh, okay. Fine. It'll help us get our mind right. All right. That? Let's see yeah. what kind what of – let's see the experience pictures. here. Oh, no. There's Dell Jr. Um Pheasant hunt. Oh, wow. Look at this. And this guys are... is the most epic hairdo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm gonna t I've seen some mullets in my time. That's I mean, this is one. close to Billy Ray Cyrus right here. It's <laughs> better than Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, this is right here. And talk about a rack. I'm telling you what. This is a big one. Now, this what is the car, one you... What I'm car sorry. is that? What's, what car is yeah. it? That, that, take, take a look. Chevy truck back there? Oh, it's a Lumina. Sorry. Never mind. This is back in the day. Yeah. So, um, that deer... Where do we shoot? Is that That's one at South Franco Hills? South Carolina? Yeah. 
I mean, that was good, man. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Shot that deer yeah. by yourself. Just posing with a head. We didn't. We didn't detached it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how far we that's, go back. Let's see good. the. All right. So here, here you go. Look at this. Yeah. So that's Remington hunt. That's yeah. right. So we had a Remington deal. This dad on the left, Remington rep on the right. Phil. Phil Murdoch. Phil, Mur Phil yep. Murdoch. That's, that's that right. Yeah. And uh, Pim Pim. What was the Primlin? Yeah, Primlin. Prim, Primlin. The funniest thing that happened that day is uh, we went up there to go on a pheasant hunt, and uh, Big E thought it would be appropriate, and which was very wise to separate us two. So <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get in trouble. We've been known for getting in trouble. So. I am so pissed off because we went to two different fields. Oh yeah. Because I was like, um, Dad was like, we got this is an appearance. Like you're okay, going, you're, you're going people. on this hunt. Yeah. Uh, get your ass up and be ready. Early in the morning. Yeah. And I was like, hey, can Hank go? I'd love it if this would be fun for me if Hank goes, I wasn't into this. Right. I didn't like to hunt. And uh, I certainly wasn't getting up in the morning and going, you know, hunting. But uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, he can go. That'd be great. And we get there and they're like, all right, Hank, you're going with them. Junior, you're going with them. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not the deal. <laughs> so, so and he got to go with dad. I was. With I wanted to hang out with dad and Hank Jr. And their two asses are going to a different field. <laughs> so, I got to hang around these Remington guys. So <laughs> we get up on this hill and we meet Dale Jr. and them. And Dale Jr.'s at the bottom of the hill. And we're kind of standing up a hill. And, you know, the rule is you don't ever shoot around another person, right. I mean, obviously, for safety reasons. And this bird, for whatever, we're sitting there talking, this bird jumps up and he flies right in between us. And Big E goes, no, like this. <laughs> and it gets about 10 feet over his head. Dale Jr. goes, bam, smokes him. <laughs> And all these feathers are coming down over Big E. And he's about to get mad. He's about to get mad. He goes, Delta goes, yes, I finally got one. <laughs> I, I could not stop laughing, oh which got God. me in trouble. But I didn't even do anything wrong. I was laughing. Oh, man. That is hysterical. <laughs> Don't shoot it. Kaboom! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> They're celebrating. It's pretty funny. Oh my goodness, that is hysterical. The, the idea of the feathers falling around dad as he's <laughs> turning beet red oh, yeah. in she's anger. Ready. Oh man, that is hysterical. So you guys hunted, I mean, so like, I would assume that... Oh, there's a... <laughs> Go ahead. I just want this podcast be damned. I just want to tell you this. <laughs> um, we, we used to go hunting at a place that he owned in South Carolina. And so you've seen Stroker Ace, the movie? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. The guy that made the jewelry out of bird uh, yeah. in the movie? Yeah. He's real, oh, yeah. and he really made bird And that's where jewelry. you killed that deer, and on his property. On his property, I killed yeah. that deer. Yeah. And Hank, so we're go I'm going hunting with Hank. What year is this? I drove uh, up there in my truck. 89, 90. I drove to your property in my truck. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. The same still one in you high flipped school. end over end. Yes. And had me come. See it because you thought it was so awesome. Hell yeah, yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah. So I get there and he's like, "Hey, I got this guy. Um, he wants to give you some jewelry." <laughs> and I'm like, "I hate jewelry." I'm like, "I hate jewelry," but yeah, whatever. He's like, "No," you, and he's giggling, and I'm thinking this is some kind of joke. I'm yeah. gonna, you know, Hank Jr.'s got some strange sense of humor, and I'm just gonna have to play along with yeah, this because yeah. I'm his guest on his hunting land, and he's damn bound and determined for me to meet this guy. Well, it ain't no joke. It turns out the guy really does make jewelry out of bird, and yeah. it's the guy from 
Joe Grace. Joe Grace. Yeah. That, I'm like, Hank Jr., do you know who this is? I He's mean, like, yeah. I'm like, well, damn, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> right. I've right. been over there. I've been I've been first out the tent door of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You yeah, you come across some interesting characters in this uh, line of business, don't you? Both of you do. Yeah. So okay. So <laughs> yes, am I did. leaving anything out? No. I that that guy was he was a pretty funny guy. Yeah. You know. He was the guy that drove the old car and was running from the cops down the dirt road at yep. the beginning of stroke in the race. Movie. Yeah. He's oh, a good dude. Yeah. Good dude. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, man. What other hunts have y'all gone on together? Well, I've got a funny story that I didn't get to go on, but this is pretty funny. So Dale Jr. calls me. He's like, hey, man, I've got this land up in Ohio, and I've got these big deer on it. And he's like, sends me a picture of this giant deer. Without a, without a uh, you know an invite, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were just bragging about the land. You yeah. weren't well, sending. Hands. I wanted him to know that I was starting to lean back into it. Into yeah. hunting, it was yeah. cool, and I was all excited. I wanted yeah. to, sp- and he I calls wanted to me. spend time with him. He's whispering. He's like, "Hey, man, you're not going to believe what just happened." I was like, "What?" He's like, "I'm sitting up in a shooting house, and a giant buck comes out, and he spooked off." I was like, well, really? What happened? He goes, well, when I opened the window, he took off. (laughs) (laughs) You were supposed to have the windows open already. (laughs) With a bow and arrow, man. Oh, man. That's hysterical. It's pretty awesome. That's hysterical when I opened the window. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, that didn't work out too good. No. I was a little surprised when we called you. I I assumed you guys would be hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in the middle of bow season right now, at least in North Carolina. So are you hunting right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't probably hunt as much as I did. Uh, kind of took a step back a little bit from the hunting show. I mean, just the way that our the whole world works. I've, I've run a production company for about 10 years, and now I'm working for a camp up in the, the mountains of North Carolina over in Andrews, North Carolina, uh-huh. called Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, and I spent a lot of time doing that. But my son, Boone, uh, he's really into archery, and so uh, both Boone and Cade shoot in this league called S3DA, and uh, so that's like, uh, you know, they have the deer target set up all, out on the range, and they walk around shooting. So Boone's already shot two deer uh, with his bow this year. He's 13 years old, so I'm wow. taking them. I'm hauling them around and building new stories. Build new stories. I got to tell you, right, so, so you have a big family. You're a big family guy. Yeah. Um, and you uh and it's amazing that boone is 13 years old by the way boy does time fly yeah so dale jr happens upon this Uh, this little column uh, that he used to that he wrote uh, for nascar.com do you want me to read it or do you want to read it this is this is i can't remember what it says all i do all i do remember is so let's pair let's set it up set it up so back in 2000 i was a rookie in xfinity in the cup Mm. series and i was wanting to become i wanted to try to write Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed writing and, and uh, just wanted to do it, try it, and get better at it. And so my PR guy, Jade Gersh, said, you, let's write some columns. And so I wrote a series of about a dozen columns, one about my dad yeah. and one about uh, various things. And I wrote one about you, and I called you. I was driving down I-77 going somewhere, and I said, hey, man. <laughs> You're like, what? I was like, I wrote this article about you, and I'm going to put it on NASCAR.com. I just wanted to tell you about that before you – so it don't, you don't read it and go, or somebody sent it to you, and you yeah. don't get weirded out. It would seem that there was an occasion for it. Now, first of all, do you remember this at all? Um, I do not. Okay. It seems that the occasion was you I were about to get married. Call. And that, that, that's my point, is that uh, yeah. you're a family guy. Well, mm-hmm. this is apparently Genesis 1-1 of okay. Hank okay. Parker Jr., right? All right, <laughs> so here it is. Here we go. This is by Dale Hart Jr. We ought to get some little, you know, some music for this. I'm sure they'll put uh, some on. Yeah, I'm sure they will. 
Yo, it's that time again to get a dose of my column. Better late than never, they say. This is like Hemingway. All right. <laughs> yo. You know when it starts out but with yo. Believe it or not, I had written a few columns for this month and canned them all. I decided to skip over the latest controversial topics like restrictor plates to tell you a thing or two about a buddy of mine. You all know him as Hank Parker Jr. Around here, we call him all sorts of things. Some that can't be printed. First off, Hank and I have been friends for years, way before he ever got the nerve to drive race cars. Second, he's probably one of the most impressionable personalities in the sport. How about that? That's wow. nice. Yeah. Wow. I met Hank on a hunting trip with my father. My father hunted with Hank Sr. quite often in those days, and me and Hank met on a few of those trips. For a few years, we would see each other, but it was a while before we got to be good friends. Hank and I had, and still do have, different outlooks on life. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll get back to that in a second. Okay. I can't say that I could explain either one of them, but I know they are not two in the same. Hank was really into the outdoors. I, on the other hand, could take it or leave it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I actually was better friends with his two brothers, Bill and Ben. Me yep. and those two were getting into trouble on the weekends while Hank was off with his girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Write a note down. We got to get back to that, okay. too, because, we'll I mean, this that. wasn't part of the stories, I okay. recall. One day at the shop, my father tells me that Hank Sr. wants to buy, buy my street stock for Lil Hank. Yeah, Lil. Not Lil, Lil Hank. Lil. Lil Hank. That's, that's my rapper name. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> right. Right. Lil Hank. This was good news because I always thought Hank was cool, and if he was going to race, we, might get, to the ha- we got, might get to hang out more often. So we sold him the car, and it wasn't long before I was driving in the BGN series, and Hank was getting offers to join me there. In those days, I tried really hard to, keep, to help him on the racetrack. I couldn't think of anyone else I would rather be banging doors with in my racing future than my buddy Hank. I always thought he was a great driver with in-depth knowledge and unlimited ability. Before long, me and Hank were swapping setups at the track, and club hopping during the week. Oh, boy. Ooh. We got to write a note. We got to ask about the <laughs> club, club hopping. hopping in trouble on it. <laughs> we spent the better part of two years doing that. Two years of club hopping, Hank? Is that what y'all were doing? Well, my name was Little. Little Hank. <laughs> yeah. Were, were, you, were, were you the DJ? Did you have a job at the club no, that night, Little no, Hank? No, no. Okay. When I, we, we spent the better part of two years doing that one week after the next. When I threw a bash at the house, Hank was the life of the party. When we went to the clubs, no one had a better time than Lil Hank. We spent a lot of time racing on computers, critiquing our driving skills and patience. Anytime we had a career decision to make, most of the time, he would call me for some advice. He only took it half the time. <laughs> but, what, but, but what the hell do I know? Phil <laughs> Jr. qualifies that. Yeah. Last year, me and him, along with a few others, had the most fun on Halloween. Hank took us up to an old haunted hotel. Seemed like it was over 100 years old. It freaked us out pretty good. We did a little bird hunting that winter as well. Those were the times, I tell you. Well, lots changed, as it always does. Old Hank is getting married. It's really no surprise to me. I joke with him all the time about it happening sooner. I tried my hardest to make him feel like a deserter. (laughs) (laughs) You did a good job of that. (laughs) You did a really good job of that. (laughs) A deserter, he says. To be honest, though, this girl's one hell of a catch. Almost like a female version of Hank. Weird, but true. (laughs) Not my cousin. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so close to Hank, you'd think they're related. (laughs) No. Even though we still look at the world around us in a different way, me and Hank still find time to chill out together, albeit not as often as before. 
Hank Jr. has always been a workhorse, but he still calls after every win. I get a lot of credit for being real. Well, this guy takes the cake. Congratulations on finding your bride, Hank, and thank you for being my friend. Still single and loving it, Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> Not anymore. Isn't that funny? Okay, where do we start? I think I we got to go to the trouble, right? <laughs> well, let's go to the, let's go to the trouble because I mean, Dale Jr. is conflicted. We got deserter yeah. Hank. I mean, yeah. you're, you're leaving your wingman yeah. apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Did y'all really get into trouble? I mean, are, are, well, I will say this: he did. He he mentioned it in there. He hung out with my brothers more, and they got in a lot more trouble yes, than I did. I've always heard that catfish was, you know, quite the hellraiser. Is that true? He's pretty crazy. He's wild. He's calmed down. <laughs> He's yeah. married. Well, we've all calmed Dude, down. So. Everybody's tom- everybody's, everybody's calm way down. down. Yeah. We would. Um, <laughs> oh Lord! Come on, listen. Come on. It's it, it's the podcast. Yeah. What we got? Well, it, it seemed it, for for this story, we all sh- we sh- we it doesn't feel right telling it without catfish in the room, but yeah, or Ben. Uh, they were two great guys, and um, just as nice and friendly and easy to be around as Hank was, and uh, and Hank Jr. was more career driven, more yeah. goal oriented. He definitely put more work into his relationships with his with his wife and and. So when I would come around, I'd be like, hey, man, let's go buy a bunch of eggs and go egg a bunch of cars and or <laughs> toilet paper somebody's house or play mailbox baseball. And Jeez. yeah, crazy yeah. stuff. And Ben and Bill would raise their hand and Hank Jr. would be like, oh, I got to stay home. I got to do this and that and the other. That's funny. I don't remember any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Bull crap. <laughs> His memory's impeccable yeah. up until this point. Now, now that was when we were younger. Yeah. Um, when I was just getting my license and just raising hell. Um, but we got into going to, you know, we'd, we'd drink together and always had a great time. And I knew that, you know, hanging around Hank was always going to be good, clean, safe, fun. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> you know, Hank wasn't ever going to do anything <clears throat> questionable. I wasn't, I wasn't either. Um, and we were going to be wild and wide open, mm-hmm. but we was going to stay in our lane. And I always knew when we were going to hang out it was just going to be fun but um one of the most impressive things about hank and we'll tell you anytime you come on this podcast before uh we put it out on the air if anything in here you don't like we'll take it out (laughs) yeah but one of the things about hank that was most impressive was his ability to puke and rally he was a big (laughs) he was a very oh oh, he he was a puker rally a puker now, yeah. not not I have drank so much I'm nauseated and I probably should go to bed, but he just it just didn't set on his stomach right. I don't even know if you can explain it. I can't. I can. You know. I think I've learned a lot since then. About, <laughs> but I can tell you this: I can remember most after all the like uh, short track races, I would puke my guts out for hours after races, and I just. Pretty weak stomach. They did. did. They didn't slow me down. I no. kept on going. Like we'd, oh, we wow. would have like four or five beers, and he'd go, "I need to throw up." And he'd walk <laughs> out in the yard and literally bend over and and projectile into the yard <laughs> and turn around, walk back in, grab a beer, like nothing and, ever happened. And we ain't even got a good buzz yet. Champion. <laughs> That's a champ. And I'm like, "Damn, you good?" He's like, "I'm great." <laughs> well, better now. I'm like, okay, buddy. I will. I will throw this in for disclaimer. Uh, yes, that that is all of that is very true. 
my life is a lot different now. It is a lot I'm different. I'm super thankful for gray hair, maturity, and God's grace. I can tell you that. But uh, that that is uh, that was uh, they they like that. They were they would wait for that. Like when, <laughs> when's it gonna happen? Oh, is it gonna happen? Yeah. What was Dale Jr. like to to hang out with? Just like he is right now. I'm not sure he's grown up and matured. Oh, oh, I'm just kidding. That's, I'm that's, kidding. I, I, I don't believe that. We, we no, you're just good. You know, just funny. Funny as all get out and have have a good time. And, uh, you know, it's, it was always uh, the same group of people. You know, there would be a lot of people sometimes, but it was, uh, there was always this core group, and it was always just a just, – just, you know, there was a time there. There was always this serious Dale Jr. at the racetrack. You know, where he's like really focused, and then there's this completely uh, funny, turn it off, mischievous, crazy Dale Jr. And that's 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 what it was like off the track. I mean, by now, I mean, gosh, Dale, you and I, we've been friends so long. I think I've heard about all the stories, but I don't, and and I definitely know stories where you got in trouble with your dad. Yeah, but I don't recall any any serious trouble with your dad's uh, on anything y'all did. I mean, I, I, maybe y'all kept the mailbox situation to yourselves. Damn, if daddy knew about that. Oh, yeah. Holy smokes. Been over. He'd have wore my ass out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you didn't play games with my dad either. And there was a time, man, like, you know, when you're talking like <laughs> when you're 17, 18 years old and you're you're just young and dumb and doing stupid things, I was, I was really trying to, to – not lose the opportunity of driving that race car. So I think really I, I was a late bloomer as far as uh, coming into being wild into my early 20s and, you know, kind of when I first came onto the scene of, of uh, um, the, the bush cars. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a tough road to get there, you know, and so you're kind of always trying to stay focused and get these race cars ready. And, and you know, you've got limited opportunity. And I, I kind of had a sight for that at that moment, but – I kind of lost sight of it well, after you, time. You know, I'm curious. Dale Jr. says that he never expected to get that ride at, at DEI in 98. 98, right? Yeah. I mean, and they didn't even tell him until, like, <laughs> about the time they were loading up, it seemed like. Were you shocked that he made it in 98 and then became a champion? I mean, because you were with him back to 16 years old. He was a bit of a late bloomer himself. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will say this. I was super thankful when he got that opportunity because I felt like he was going to do a good job. And if you kind of you look from the uh, from the flip side of that, the pressure that he was under, you know, that, that was a ton of pressure back then because you had an established team and you had these guys who were used to uh, – uh, you're just a whole a company that was used to winning. And so you put him in the seat, and he, he, he performed, and it was awesome. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a fun thing to be a competitor and watch him do that because that was pretty impressive. That was a very impressive time to see him stand underneath that type of pressure and win. That was, that was really cool. One of the coolest things that I remember um, that um, – I really appreciate this. I don't know where it falls for you, but um, at one point in your career, uh, a couple things hadn't gone the right way. Teams were teams that you were working with were mm-hmm. were having some difficulties, and we, uh, me and Teresa, were starting up Chance too, mm-hmm. and we had a couple open races. Uh, we weren't. Uh, we were kind of at this right around the same time looking at Truex uh, to come drive for us, but we had a few races open, and. Um, 
I was able to um, get you to come over there and drive that car for yeah. a couple races and uh, ended up getting some good runs. I remember being on the radio with you at Kansas and giving you a hard time. That was awesome. Yeah, but um, I felt like that um, that was an opportunity for you to show yeah. showcase talent, remind people. I think because mm-hmm. you had done already showcased your talent or shown your potential and who you could be in your own car and Xfinity Series, and you won a couple Xfinity races uh, for CC and those guys. Mm-hmm. But then it was like. Um, people needed, I, you know, it was a great opportunity to remind people, like, look, hey, I'm a guy that can do this, and I think that you got the chance to, to showcase that in that car, and ended up kind of uh, presenting some new opportunities to you. Yeah, it, uh, I'm, I'll be forever grateful for that opportunity. That was a very pivotal time in my life, right there, uh, and so that was a really cool opportunity to be able to drive a car that good. And I remember, I remember going out to practice. I think the first time in Atlanta, and I think Bono was the crew chief, yeah. and I asked him, I was mm. like is this thing legal? <laughs> Y'all cheating? <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, they were good cars. I had a good time. And you know what? You look back and it's, it's you know, uh, on th- when you get older, you're, you're able to kind of view some things in a different perspective. And you look at the way that racing and just sports work, it's so much about timing. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can, you can be a great driver. You can have uh, opportunity, but it's, it's all has to come together at the right time. And you see guys, uh, you know, one of the guys who I felt like really took a, took a, took a huge advantage in was able to really uh, showcase just extreme talent was Matt Kenseth, the way he came into the sport with Robbie Riser and those guys. And, and so I was just at a different place. And, you know, if I could go back, I'd do a lot of things different, but uh, uh, it, it, you know, you give it your best and yeah. you look back at it now and just like the timing just, I, I, I had developed a little bit of some bad habits from, you know, uh, not having exactly what I needed at the very beginning. But at the same time, man, I got to drive race cars and I got to do something I dreamed of doing. Yeah. I got to do something I loved and I got to, to experience victory. So, man, I look back on it with just I'm just good memories. And you know, Kansas, the funny thing you talk about my stomach at Kansas, I remember I was so sick before the race and uh, I was, I was feeling so rough and I went to the infield care center and they're like, we're going to give you a GI cocktail. And they gave me like some Pepto with aspirin and like, I don't know if it was morphine or whatever it was in it, you know, like a, What's that numbing stuff they put? Yeah. Novocaine. They put yeah. Novocaine in that thing. I drank it. I felt like a million dollars that whole race. <laughs> like, yes. How many races did you run uh, for Dale? Was it like three. two or three, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think three. Right. And then I drove uh, Cl- uh, Clarence Brewer's car that year yeah. at Darlington. So you finished seventh um, at Charlotte with Bono in the box. You finished fifth at Kansas in the fall. Led some laps. Finished fifth at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So those were great runs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that new that team was brand new. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What what I remember you in two thousand two, and um, so you you guys both just alluded that you were wanting to give him a break to showcase his talent. What what happened in between two thousand two and two thousand three? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. So there was some things going really good. So I was driving uh, for CC Welliver and GNC was my sponsor. GNC, I, I remember was driving that a Dodge. I'm like the first guy to win a bush race in a Dodge, and uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff with uh, Ray Everham. And, and so I was doing a lot of their testing. I drove a cup race at Rockingham for, uh, at Rockingham for Everham. And, uh, and so I felt like, uh, GNC was kind of in my back pocket. They, we had a great relationship and we were going to move forward. We were actually going to go to PPC where Jeff Green had, had been driving and PPC actually stands for Parker, Pollux and Campbell. And that ended up, I was going to take GNC over there and then we were going to run, uh, 
uh, try to make a run in their car for the championship and try to be competitive, however you want to state that, and then look at moving up into the Cup Series. Mm. And I was at Homestead, uh, Florida. I was leading. Uh, I led some of that race, and it was the last race of the season. And come in at the end of the race, and GNC's like, the government has banned Ephedra. We're out of racing completely. I mean, they were sponsoring races. They sponsored the Daytona race. They sponsored all these different races. And so here it is, the very end of the season. They completely pull out. My team shuts down. And I'm stuck at the end of the year without a ride. At the end of the year. No time to even plan another right. uh, ride for 2003, right? So yeah. you were stuck. Wow. And here's here's a funny story. Uh, maybe I should probably – it would be better. But he can't defend himself. But Chip Ganassi offered me a, a job to drive that car uh, – Remember that uh, Jason Leffler drove the first year for Chip Ganassi? He offered me that ride. I can't remember which car it was. But anyway, uh, he offered me a ride, and I was going to stay with GNC, and we felt like we were going to be really good. And then we talked and talked, and finally I was like, man, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. He's like, son, are you crazy? <laughs> Some people say I am. Yeah. But uh, it, it kind of all fell apart. Right there, it just fell apart, you know. Well, you turned down time. the you you had the Ganassi yeah ride and before you it I knew GNC was going to oh, leave. You turned wow. it down because you were, had your yeah. plans set up, and then the plans unraveled right after Completely the Homestead race. Completely unraveled, wow. and then I went back to him. He's like, "Yeah, you already told me no. Forget it." Yeah, like, it was a good life lesson. Wow, damn. That and so when does Dale? When do you guys actually talk about doing the D, uh, the the Chance Two thing? I mean, do you, in 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 where were you at in light? Where were I you in I your headspace you at that phone. point? Yeah, uh, you know, I was uh, had. Uh, I think we had my wife and I just had our first kid, and so I, life was looking good. Then it all unravels, and every phone conversation with Dale Junior starts the exact same way, the kind of way he did earlier. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want you to drive my car for me. Okay. All right. We'll come over to the shop. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the details you need. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So that's how we did it. It worked good. So you got to race in the truck series a couple more years after that. Mm-hmm. You feel you last start you filled in for Carl Edwards at Nashville in two thousand five. You got the pole for Roush in the number sixty car. Mm-hmm. Um and then you didn't race anymore. I didn't race anymore. I had a conversation with Jack Roush at the end of my career right there. Uh so this is a fun story. Um I was uh, doing some testing for Carl. Uh, he was back and forth and I was just wasn't sure where I was at. I was doing a lot of T V at that point in time and uh not not sure where it was going, but you know, back then it was kind of popular to do kind of these starting parks, and I just wasn't going to do it. And uh, so I, um, I'm at the, I'm at the racetrack working on Carl's car, and Brad Parrott was the crew chief, and he said, "Hey, man, we really want to try something, and and we don't know if it'll work, but will you be willing to try it?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So it was bump stops, and we went out there and. The car was bottoming out really, really bad. So we, they made a few adjustments, whatever it is they did. And uh, I made like two more laps. I came out and said, put a car cover on it. Well, they all got really mad at me, except for everybody on the team except for Brad because I was like 15th in practice. You don't do that in those cars. And uh, I was like, just trust me. It's, I'm telling you, this thing is awesome. And so when Carl gets there, he pretty much just laps the field and dominates this race. But it, it really had very little to do with what I had done. It was the fact that, I was just willing to try what they were wanting to try. I mean, you can imagine the difference. It was new technology back then. Sure. And so uh, after the race, Jack Roush and Carl are standing there, and Carl says, Jack, you need to give him an opportunity. You need to, you need to give this guy a chance. I think he could do it. And he, looked at, he looked at me, kind of looked me up and down and said, yep, he's too old and got too many bad habits. But I said, all right. And I sailed on down the 
sailed on down the road. I said, Holy cow. I've given it my best shot. I've done all I can. And I'm not going to go drive for a car that I know I can't win in. Yeah. If I'm going to blame somebody, I want to be able to blame myself. And, I, and I, it just was too late. I pushed it too far. How old far. were you? Uh, 33, maybe 30, 33, 34, maybe. So young. <laughs> yeah. Jack so, has put a lot older farts in that car than, than 33. I mean, God, I mean, do we need to remind about Mark Martin <laughs> or anybody else there? I mean. Um, well, those guys were established, and but, I get I get his point. I get what he was saying. I know. I had picked up some, you know, some 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 habits of driving cars that, that were different than his, and, hey, I get it. Okay, so that's what sucked all the oxygen out of you to, to not pursue racing anymore? I mean, I, that, like, I don't just, know. It was just, a, you know, that was kind of – that was that was the straw that kind of – that unleashed the, the flood to, the, to go that direction. And then, uh, you know, I started commentating races and started doing some stuff like that. that what did you think about commentating? I enjoyed it. You know, the the, the one thing is I'm a, I'm a kind of high-energy person, and, and and I'm tuned into things, but I'm also a bit ADD, so by the end of the race, I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, <laughs> all right. Don't, don't put you on the 600 or anything, yeah, right? Is so, that what you're saying? Um, how long did you do that for? Uh, I'd say two or three years. Okay. Yeah. 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 Were you missing driving? A little bit, you know. Um, you know, I wanted to. You know, you have to make up your mind of what you're going to do and where you're going to be. And in my my drive was, I want to have the opportunity to win, and I want to have the opportunity to be competitive. I don't want to just be there. I don't want to just go collect. Being a professional athlete, if that you know. I'm, I'm not there to draw a paycheck. I'm there to swing for the fences and go for it. And if I can't do that, then I need to go. I, I know how to use a shovel. I know how to swing a hammer. I can, go, I can go make a paycheck somewhere else, you know. So this is a dream, and you better go for it while you've got the chance. Yeah. So you, um, your life changed quite a bit since you quit driving. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've been married and you're having kids, but now you've got a giant family. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dale Jeter says that all the time. Like, yeah. you know, well, I'm, 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 I'm impressed. Yeah. No, it's it, an impressive, it's completely. It's an impressive responsibility. Yes, it so is. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, well after I got out of racing, kind of started doing some TV work and kind of got involved in doing some some different things with my dad in the outdoor television programming, and and you know you just turn around and you've got three or four kids and it's like you keep adding to them and and it's just been building up and so over the last uh, several years, my wife and I have been in the process of of adopting a little girl from the country of Haiti and. After six years, we finally brought her home this March, and so man. that man was that was awesome. So she's number five in, in the Parker clan, and she fits in real good. And yeah. they keep me hopping. And my boys, I was telling them I was coming to do this, and one of them told me, "said I want to try racing go karts." I was like, "No, nah, I think you'll be all right sticking to fishing and hunting." You and didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, Come on, oh you got to bring your go kart over there. Oh, yeah, 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 right. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be bad. What's a what's a what's a day like in the Parker household? It's it's pretty wild, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Uh, my two daughters are are driving, so that's kind of crazy. I'm always trying to give Isn't them instruction wild? on you know what that looks like, and they don't think I understand what boys uh, in high school think and mm-hmm. do. And yeah, I keep explaining to them, and you know, and threatening you know boys to come around, you know, uh, my daughters, what that would look like for them. <laughs> uh, 
my boys are really into horses and so they're constantly getting new horses and training horses and selling horses and playing on horses they're really into horses and the outdoors they they love doing that and so you know it's uh we live in a crazy time now so we've kind of like uh trying to do school with them and and do all the things that they enjoy to do outside of that yeah I, you know we talk so much about your dad i mean how's he doing what, what, what's 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 what is he into right now my dad's crazy uh <laughs> he's he's in louisiana right now fishing so every okay. every chance he gets he's fishing he's hunting he's wide open he has not let off the throttle literally ever i mean at all yeah. I'm gonna tell you something that you don't know. I have told you before because you obviously you're you're a you're a veteran of the Dirty Mo Media podcast host. You know you uh, you and Carrie were hosting out, Earnhardt Outdoors, but one time I told you this. In my time of racing, I've never been. I mean, we've met a lot of people, celebrities coming to every week. I'd never been starstruck. In 2002, when I saw Hank Parker Sr. walking through the garage, yeah. I've literally was locking up. And you know why? Because my dad and I used to watch that fishing show, and we just were so into that theme song, Gone Fishing. And it was a thing that me and my dad connected to all the time, and we just loved it. And I remember growing up watching it. And so when I saw Hank, who's the friendliest guy in the – I mean, like, you, you, I don't know what is in the water at the Parker <laughs> household, man, but they're just so nice. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've always just looked up to you and your family, and, uh, and, and Hank, I just remember that in 2002. I was brand new in the sport, working for Finch. Um, so just trying to get my bearings and everything, but then when your dad walked in and, and, and then was just so nice, I just was like, man, I've made it. This is it. They don't get better than this, you know, right here, Hank senior right here. Um, but then I was obviously into your, your whole career and, uh, and you, you were so good that year in 2002. I mean, you, you were fast. Um, but I, I just, I liked, I, I've always thought a lot of your family. I then got to know catfish through your hunting show. You know, the hunting show y'all were doing. I didn't know Catfish. And he also was w w driving for Rusty. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And, um, you know, when RWI was doing that, its thing. And um, and you guys as a family and hunting together, it was just so fun to watch. And, 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 um, and you're good at it. And it's like, I'm like, man, my, you know, the, the legend fisherman is also just whacking them out there in, yeah. in the woods. My dad's always, always hunted. He used to tell people he would go fishing to make enough money to go hunting. So is that, <laughs> so that was always, that was always, man, and he could do it. He could do it on the, in the boat too. Yeah. Boy. He's, I mean, he's got a talent. I mean, he's, I mean, it's just incredible. It's, it, I, I didn't get that. So <laughs> I go fishing with him like. I don't quite understand what you're doing, but it seems to be working pretty good for you. But, man, he's just – he's an awesome dad, and I've, I've enjoyed, you know, the life lessons. And, you know, it's uh, it's pretty fun to just still hang out with him. I mean, he's still the same old guy, and we still go fishing. We still hang out. We still go hunting. And same old guy. And, man, I'm blessed to have him as a dad, that's for sure. And you got a production company. I did. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't – I'm not as focused on that at this point in time. Uh I've ran a production company where we produce most of uh, uh, our hunting television show, and we produce some other television shows. We uh, produced uh, Greg Zipadelli's uh, Drop Zone show, and John Tate runs that now. And I uh, did a lot of lot of different work for production companies. Uh, right now, my my main focus and what I do is I work at this camp called Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters up in Andrews. And, and tell us a little bit more about that, because I know you alluded to it earlier. But mm -hmm. it's yeah. a it's a Christian camp that's uh, that's primarily focused on junior high and high school students. It's a year round camp. It's a high adventure recreation camp uh, where we have all types of stuff from whitewater rafting to um, 
um, uh, aerial parks, zip lines, all, all the fun stuff that, that kids like to do. But it's a, it's a ministry-based, uh, it's a gospel-based ministry that I, uh, my main responsibility is to try to get people to come to camp. And how are you doing with that? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've already, I, I want to go to camp. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, what's the age limit on that thing? Yeah. Is it, is it going to be one of those situations where he's going to be Jack Roush? He's going to look at us and go, nope, too many bad, <laughs> bad habits you're and you're too, too old. old. <laughs> no, no, no. We had, we had a men's retreat last weekend where we had uh, lots of guys up there, but it's, uh, it's going good. You know, we obviously have come through a summer where it's been crazy with all the stuff, COVID and, and all that, but you know, Based on uh, the rules for overnight camps, we were able to still operate at a reduced capacity, but we had a good year, and a lot of camps were shutting down, and grit our teeth and pushed right on through and kept on going, man. Had a great summer, had a bunch of kids come through. You work with a lot of charitable initiatives, too, as well. Any of those you want to speak about? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the biggest thing that, that, that I would say as far as, like, charities and things, uh, there, there's a, you know, we've kind of bounce back and forth looking at different things my wife and I one of the things that got us on the track of adoption was a ministry called back to back and we were visiting different places and you know I'm just super thankful for the work that they do for orphan care around the world and to be able to go see different things and to have your mind uh, shaped and changed by reality by going firsthand and seeing things have been something that 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 I, I had no idea existed before I met those guys and started going to different places with them. Did you go to Haiti? Is that I mean, had you gone to Haiti on a mission trip or anything like that? Because they've had, you know that that, that country's been ravaged. Yeah, you know? it's it's a crazy place. I mean, it's a it's 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 a you know in a lot of aspects, it's a very sad place. But there's a lot of hope there too. Sure, I, I'd spent some time in Mexico. I my family and I would go down to Mexico every year, and we'd go to a a, a home where uh, there was a, there was quite a few kids, and it's kind of hard to explain. But there was a kid that we kind of fell in love with down there, and he didn't have any extended family that would come visit him on holidays. And so we would kind of go down there and hang out and spend time with him. And we, we you know we actually thought we would like to adopt that kid, and uh, and and you know just because he was in a pretty bad situation where he was at, and you know it just didn't work out. And the really cool thing about it is is his fa- his family found him and. Mm. We ended up taking him back home, so that was really cool. And so in that process, we're on the back side of this thinking, hey, we're a little crazy thinking about adopting a kid, but since we were thinking about it, let's just see where it leads. And, you know, and my wife and I spent some time just praying about it and seeing where, where we felt like the Lord would lead us. And, and Haiti is a place that, that has seen a lot of destruction. There's a lot of need, and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that – you could go into when it starts when you start talking about orphan care and orphans around the world. There's there's some there's some different views and some different ways of looking at things. But we here's one of the one thing we did understand. There's a lot of need, and oh, man, yeah. you know we're in an opportunity and a position that in our life where we could invest in that. And so we started the process. It took us six years, and uh, we finally got our home. Wow, six years, crazy. Yeah, man, you are a special guy, and. Uh, I've always felt like that, but you continue to do things in your life and, uh, and, and you continue to sort of march that path, uh, that in, in, and do your own thing. And I've always just been really impressed by you and appreciate your friendship and, uh, hope that one day we'll get to go hunting together. Uh, and spend some real time. You Separate know. fields. I want to make sure y'all are, y'all are apart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's about. I think I know we both got lives that keep us pretty dang busy. Yeah, 
but I think it's time for us to to go off somewhere and do something where we can just hang out. But I'm ready when you are. You need to hang out with uh, you know the mature Dale Jr. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Do you have any experience in this? Because I mean, like this guy's about to have a second kid. I we know it's not. Been, it ain't no Parker thing. We I mean, haven't been on a trip in a decade. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a very long time. And I, you know, right back at you, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate the opportunity you you gave me. I mean, all the way through my career, at at any point, if I was struggling at the racetrack, I mean. I can remember there's times that you guys would take shocks and just bring shocks oh, over yeah. and put them on my car. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Dover. Always, always helpful. I was like, uh, I was not going to make the race at Dover. And Tony Jr. came over and put a set of shocks on my car. And uh, um, I qualified like seventh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, he's like telling me what his car's doing. I'm like, I know exactly what you need. I'm killing it in these shocks over here. You got to have these things. It's going to fix it. It was awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it was friend. it was like a it was like your you know your best friend down there. It was so easy to to Tony Jr. and them were like, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. shocks back then that was like handing somebody your hard drive. That's right. You know? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So you but it, but they were like, yeah, we'll do it because they knew that it, they would just go on that car and that was all they were. That was as far as they'd go. But I can't say enough about you, man. And I'm so glad that we've been able to get you on this podcast so the people that are listening to this show will learn more about you. They know your name and they know your, your history in the sport, but they're going to know you as a person now. And, um, I'm glad we got the chance to do it. So thanks for coming on the show and tell everybody back home. We said, Hey, good luck with the camp <laughs> over in the mountains. Still yeah, man, a deserter, by the way. Still a deserter. Still Once a deserter, always a deserter, right? I, I was mean, so selfish. Well, <laughs> actually, he's, all, he's back on the team. I mean, he's married, too. Yeah. He's back on the team. Yeah. I was Both a deserters. selfish. <laughs> I was just thinking about myself. <laughs> and I wasn't going to have any fun times partying. Hey, but there my, it is my, right there. Here's your copy of the column. Good stuff. Thank you. I don't know if anyone else would want to see that, but, yeah, you might, you <laughs> might, you might want to – your wife might read it and throw it in the trash. <laughs> what a jerk. Good I times. remember what a jerk he was. <laughs> no. All good memories. Good times. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Hank buddy. Jr. Thank you, guys. All right, here we go. Lot of history. All right, listen up a little odd history here. I got to say, NASCAR man has come up with some doozies. And Dale, I think we're going to all learn about this one because I love the history of uh, the Hudson Horn and Herb Thomas. It's, I'm a big fan, but this is one here when he brought it to us. I, I, I couldn't believe it. it. It's just something I'd never heard. This was called Repossessed. Many of you do know that Johnny Mance drove his number 98 Plymouth from Long Beach, California to Darlington, South Carolina, and then bested a 75-car field to win the first-ever Southern 500. 75 75 cars. There were a lot of big names in the field. Red Byron, Fireball Roberts, who ran second. The Flock Brothers, Buck Baker. One of the biggest names in the 1950s was Herb Thomas. Mm. Now, Herb became famous for driving the fabulous Hudson Hornet and then the Carl Kiefer cars and more en route to his 48 career NASCAR Premier Series wins. But in 1950, the Olivia, North Carolina driver, had yet to win on the big NASCAR circuit. At Darlington, Thomas was betting on himself, and the bet, well, it failed. You see, moments before the green flag, Herb found himself in a terrible situation. His number 92 car was lined up to start 29th in the race, but a tow truck had showed up to repossess 
his race car. <laughs> like many racers, Thomas bought his car without enough money to pay for it. He then drove it to the track and hoped to win enough money in the race to pay for the car the next day. Unfortunately, the finance company wasn't willing to go along with the gamble and elected to repossess the car from the starting grid at Darlington. As the engine started, Thomas, brand new Plymouth, was on the back of the tow truck. So if you always wondered why it says WD by Herb's name in the record books, usually that stands for withdrew. Oh, no. I, in his case, it's like, well, damn. Now you know the story of why <laughs> he withdrew from the first ever Southern 500. Sounds like he got withdrewed. <laughs> he did, he was he was withdrawn. He was he was told. Yeah, that's a good one. Last call. Last call. All right, last call. Does anyone in the room know what it means when you have this phobia? It's called sinosilicophobia. Sinosilicophobia. Sin. Sinosilicophobia. Sinosilicophobia. I'm since there's a picture of beer next to this, I'm going with maybe it's the fear of running out of beer. Yeah, the fear of an empty glass. Yeah. Oh, like did you guys look it up? No, no is that it? Is that it? Look, yes. my, my, my sheet's redacted, so yeah. I can't even see the. According the, to the internet, it's a real thing. It's the fear of an empty beer glass. The word cenopath is the Oxford English Dictionary. It says empty tomb. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoyed the show. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Sorry, no, sorry. sorry dude. I, I, was, I, I left you hanging on that Speaking one. of beer, Door Bumper Clear likes to drink it. <laughs> they, they, they sure have do. They definitely definitely Especially Freddie Kraft, who f- slept through the previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they yeah, did yeah. one. One episode. Yeah. yeah. But he came back this week. He came back. Oh. He slept through it from drinking beer or what? Well, he slept through it from a yeah. West Coast yeah. uh, get back yeah, from a trip. The whole cast is back this week, and for once, TJ is not the only one having to defend himself. <laughs> so go take a listen to Door Bumper Clear. They love beer. Have no fear. <laughs> Mike Davis. Take, take over from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, guys, you know, our show will be at 5 p.m. Eastern Time this Wednesday on NBC Sports Network, or television show, that is, with Hank Parker Jr. So, you know, we jump around a little bit here and there times. This week it's at 5 p.m. Leah, you'll hit it on social. I will. There will always be somebody asking, saying they didn't see it, but we'll – they do a lot of good re-airs, too, so, um, you know, you'll be able to see it. This is an episode you'll want to watch on TV as well. The 10 Days of Giving. Listen, this is interesting. This is the 10th year of the Dale Jr. Foundation's Driven to Give event. Driven to Give is open from now until October 10th, 2020. Anybody know a birthday on October 10th? Uh, yeah. Anybody? I don't know. Yeah. Oh. This year, it features online silent auctions. Filled with some truly incredible items, such as a seven-day stay at Dale Jr.'s North Carolina Lake House, Mike Tyson's autographed boxing glove, Magic Johnson's autographed L.A. Lakers warm-up shirt, a Billy Joe autographed Piano Man record, a Toby Keith autographed guitar, lots of NASCAR autographed memorabilia, and so much more. Isn't there a uh, auction for the opportunity to come and hang out during a taping of the should be. podcast? I think I saw that. Is yes. that is that true? Yeah, it's a uh, it's part of a it's package. A Dale Jr. Meet and Greet package, correct? So it's it's up there. Yep, it's doing wow. very well. Yes. Come in here and watch us do this. Yeah, part of the package, uh, you get to do a lot of different things in that, but one of them is sitting in on the 
recording of our podcasts. You'd be shocked how many people ask to do that. I mean, a lot of people do that. Last um, year's Driven to Give efforts helped raise more than $400,000, and the need is even greater this year. Go to the org slash DTG2020. That's the org slash DTG2020. Through October 10th, you'll be able to, uh, to bid on all these great items. On behalf of the children, families, and groups that benefit from this event, we thank you for your support. Also, there are many great sponsors of this event. It's the 10th year we've done it. Means a lot to us. That's right. It's a little different this year because of uh, the pandemic, but we're going to make it happen. We're going to raise some money. If you guys can help us out, that'd be great. It's going to give. It's a birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, in, in the studio. Happy birthday to you. What? Very special. Don't read the label. Open it. Read the label, man. You got to read the label. I love it. Oh my goodness. Dude. Let's see this. <laughs> That's like high quality. Yeah. Like, uh, Printed off the original negative. Where? Who has that? Uh, I believe the gentleman on there, Al Sop, was the uh, photographer. He just walked into Dad's shop and took it? Did he have any... He tell you about the day? No, this was, uh, this was what was sent to us. Uh, oh printed my. off the original negative, it says. Um, and they it wanted definitely... you to have it. It's, it's gorgeous, gorgeous quality photograph. And describe, describe it to the podcast listeners. There it is, Mike. Uh, basically, it's a picture of Dad torquing the head bolts on a motor in his shop or Ralph Earnhardt's shop. I imagine this is probably around 74 or 75. And, um, you know, Dad's just grease, got grease stains on his shirt, sleeves rolled up, hands dirty, dirty old pants. as a nasty old engine hoist or engine uh, mount rack. That he's got his motor bolted to with a bunch of holes drilled in it from all the different blocks they've tried to adapt to this thing over the many decades that Ralph probably used it. And uh, a bunch of stuff laying around in the corner. Looks like I believe I see a Miller High Life. Oh. Big, uh, looks like a 20 ounce. You're doing that. Yeah. Get, it, get her done. <laughs> ah, yeah, going to yeah. this engine. Cold better feel good. It's obviously in the middle of the night. Get my buzz on. Because <laughs> of the darkness outside. It's just a cool picture. Some old head gaskets hanging from the rafters. I mean, it is the guy's birthday, so we had to bring presents back. Oh, man. This <laughs> is more... This is in the shop. <sighs> you love family history. I figured you'd love the hell out of this. That's, that's, they just it's must have cool. painted this thing and getting it lettered, building his engine. There's Uncle Randy. It looks like Mike Watkins, Oh, wow. Kathy's husband. That's yeah, cool. Holy <laughs> <laughs> They're working on the front end here. We're putting some. They're putting this wind. They're putting the screen in the front of the grill. Uncle Randy's tightening down the windshield clamps. This old post in the picture, I believe, is the one that had the hole in it that Ralph would put all his change in huh. when he'd get Whataburger or something. Man, that's crazy. It's some of the gun looks pretty. They just painted it. Looks like they're like putting it back together to get ready for the upcoming. Yeah year or something it's wild dion hmm. did they name the car dion oh look you can see like the floorboard <laughs> his seat the thing's nasty wish we had some of these shots from metrolina i was just thinking for the, the episode same thing. of lost speedways I was just thinking the same <laughs> beautiful thing. refrigerator in the background i remember that the office ralph's office still there oh man the dash and like a key ignition wow 
Wild stuff, man. That's amazing. Thank y'all. This is the key ignition. I'm going to have to send this to... That's cool. Uh, Framebridge? Framebridge. I don't imagine the mood in there. It's kind of <laughs> weird. So it kind of... Like, well, you know, it's funny. The dynamic between Mike Watkins and your dad would have been interesting for me just to begin with. Like, knowing Mike. I, I and dad and Randy. They were kind of... They weren't like warm and fuzzies. They, they None weren't. Of them. Nobody was. Right, because like... Danny, if if Randy was anything like Danny, I would have been like, did they even talk to each other? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, how does that work? That's what I'm saying. I bet there wasn't much conversation in that room. And some guy snapping his pictures. That's pretty awesome, man. I am very, very thankful for um, the thought put in this. And I'm very appreciative. What a great show. Man, didn't anticipate. I mean, all our shows are great and fun, but this one, to me, has been really unique. Yeah. Don't you think? I, I think so. Is it just me or... Nope, I, I, I enjoyed that immensely. I knew Hank Parker Jr., somebody we've been wanting for a long time, but he delivered, man. Yeah, he did. So, um, yeah, great show. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Everybody, hope everybody has a great week. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Leah. Um, Have a happy birthday on Saturday. Happy oh, birthday, yeah. buddy. So, all right, for uh, before I do get off here, um, this is what I want to say. Um, by the time we do the next podcast i should be a dad a new dad of a little <laughs> girl so i'm pumped about that uh obviously it's my my birthday too um so we've got a busy week and i'm gonna be having a great time we had a great time this weekend calling the race so everything seems to be good in my world hope everybody else is having such uh such a good week as i am and uh we'll see you soon see you buddy yeah Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.